Well, one final time this weekend, give Jesus a great big hand clap all over the place. Hallelujah. Well, you don't have people out in the lobby. That's great. I hope you came expecting tonight. I'm sure you did. You can feel the energy in the room. Before you're seated, if you didn't know, uh, how many of you are here for the first time this weekend tonight? Just came from New Mexico at a church called Choose Life Church in Hobbs, New Mexico. It was supposed to go one week. We went three weeks and had just under 200 uh, visitors come and receive Jesus Christ for the very first time. So that's not counting recommitments. Those are people who had never been to church before, and it had an effect on the town. And we had, by the end of the meetings, we had... Four reports of people who had cancer, basically in all the forms you can have cancer. One was leukemia, one was a tumor, one was multiple tumors. All that the tumors and cancer cleared out of their blood. Can you say amen? amen. So we announced that tonight we're going to have a miracle service. And I said, I said if it doesn't rain, we're going to pray for people outside. And, and uh, the forecast is clear. So that's obviously, obviously you're not going to be able to line everybody up here. But I'm going to preach the word to you first. The Bible says, and many came to hear the word and be healed. So the word brings healing. And I'm, I'm going to preach to you and get you ready for the fall. I have a very good spirit, uh, feeling in my spirit about the autumn. I know right now, of course, it was announced in the beginning of August that they were going to look to do mask mandates and shut businesses down again. Of course, they're pressuring your governor here to comply, and that failed. And I feel... Uh, not just in Florida, it failed in the country. I was in a blue state, New Mexico, and I was pretty sure because I was there when it was locked down last December. You weren't allowed more than 20 people in church. We had 880 people, so we broke the law. I mean, if you're going to break the law, break it. <laughs> we had 860 more people than you were allowed. And uh, I was pretty sure I was going to have to dodge the front desk for the rest of the, the revival, not wearing a mask and all that. But it, it never set back in. And so the devil has a plan to destroy America. You can be seated because I'm already rolling. I was just trying to say hi. The devil has a plan to destroy America. There's a, there's a minister that God hooked me up with when I was in Bible school. I never met him, but they, I went to a place called, well, I don't say the name of the Bible school. But they, were, they underwent a change. They were an independent Bible college, and they were a pro-faith Bible college. But one of the presidents decided to bring them into a denomination. And once they went to that denomination, things changed. Because they got accredited. And, and one of the rules of accreditation is that you, have to have, you had to have like 90% of your professors that had at least a master's degree. Well, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. But the way it plays out in reality is there's almost no Pentecostal or full gospel universities that give out masters or doctorates in divinity. So you ended up, they ended up firing, like for example, we had a teacher who was my friend. His name was Dr. Lundstrom, and he taught Bible prophecy. He traveled, he wasn't just a teacher, he traveled and, and preached, you know, week-long revivals and would preach on Bible prophecy, and then he'd teach at the school in his 70s. He had the book of Daniel memorized, he had the book of Revelation memorized, word for word. I don't mean like he kind of knew it. I mean, he, he could go th through the whole thing, and he looked like it. He looked like a walking brain. He just had that, just like that look in his eye like this. <laughs> so, you know, you start learning about Bible prophecy from a guy like that that's been preaching for 40 years, 
It's different than when you fire him and replace him with a guy that just came from whatever Bible college and is 35 years old and studied Bible prophecy. And that guy would kind of like make mocking comments about uh, what he used to teach, but he didn't have any anointing on him. So I say that because I went to the school library one day and they were clearing out all the books that were written by the people I would consider the generals of the faith. I talked with your pastor last night and he said that uh, he teaches a Bible college here and one of the books that they use is John G. Lake's yeah. book. So John G. Lake wrote a book. It's called God, Man, and Other, and, and Other Sermons. And if you were here last night, I, ta- I preached a little bit out of John chapter 10. I read that book. It changed my life. Because he showed you doctrinally how you're made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And your spirit, the Bible says, is joined to the Lord. You have the mind of Christ. Of course, Isaiah says, uh, who can know what the Lord is thinking and who can give him counsel? But then in the New Testament, it says, but we can, for we have the mind of Christ. And then your body carries the glory of God. And he'd show those scriptures, how garments were taken from uh, the skin of Paul and taken to those that were sick, Acts chapter 19, 11. That changed my life. They were clearing out another book that I got a hold of. It was called Pioneers of Faith. So what I basically did is they wanted all those books out of the library. So for, they were selling them for 10 cents a piece. So I, I got this faith library of classic books for like two bucks and uh, Healing the Sick. You know, T.L. Osborne, if you've ever followed my ministry at all, T.L. Osborne wrote that book, Healing the Sick. The original title was Healing the Sick and Casting Out Devils when he wrote it in the 50s. So I got that in hardcover. And what I would do is I'd take them to class and I'd put them in my textbook. And then while they were teaching whatever they were teaching, I would just read what those guys had to say. <laughs> so um, what a rebellious crowd. You like that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to get along. So... Uh, One of the books that I got a hold of was called Pioneers of Faith by Dr. Lester Summerall. If you don't know who who Lester Summerall is, he's in heaven. He he passed in 1996, and he lived a very amazing life. What happened was when he was 16, he had tuberculosis, like most of the great healing preachers did. That's why they were so good at preaching healing, because they didn't believe in miracles. They was a miracle. So Lester Summerall is 16 years old. He's not living for the Lord, and he's going to die. At the end stage of tuberculosis, you'd end up coughing up your own lungs. And so the doctor back, you know, this is back a long time ago. The doctor, I think he, uh, he was living, I can't remember whether he was in New Orleans or Florida at the time. But the doctor came to do a house call, told his mother, your son will be dead in the morning, and filled out, I mean, not callously, just facts. He, he, he had a little t- tub, he said, next to his bed, and he'd hack all his lungs up into the tub. Actual lung tissue, just going to die. So um, he filled out the entire death certificate except for date and time of death and said when he dies, because, you know, this is early 1900s, just fill in the rest, and, and, and I have to go because, you know, it's very difficult to travel back then. Well, the mother, the dad was unsaved, but the mom was a Pentecostal lady. So when she said, your son's going to die, she started praying for him, you know, in tongues for, for the rest of the night. Well, Lester said at 16, not serving the Lord, he wakes up out of his, whatever it was, sleep or coma, getting ready to die, and he has an open vision. On one side of his bed is an open casket, and on another side of the bed is an open Bible. And the vo- a voice spoke out, the voice of the Lord, and said, preach or die, your choice. And he said, in my weakened state with what lungs I had left, 
I said, I'll preach. And he said he woke up in the morning totally healthy. In fact, they let me in his office. <laughs> you know, the guy's a mighty man of God. When he died, they sealed his office. So his office, they didn't even empty the trash. And I was the first person. It was a dream because I had studied. I read everything. He was my hero and is my hero. So when I went there, they said, would you like to see Dr. Summerall's office? I said, sure. So they let me in. It was the first time they had opened the, the door of, of the office. So I go in and sit down. And on his desk, he had right in front of him that death certificate with the date emptied just to remind him what the Lord did for him. Amen. And he had a picture of his mom next to that who, who prayed him, prayed him out, out of death. So he, not to tell his whole life story, but he's better the next morning. Wakes up and eats breakfast, re-enrolls in school. And so... Uh, the Lord speaks to him again audibly a couple weeks later. He's 16. I thought you said you'd preach. He's in high school. He, he, he said, I will. And the Lord said, now. So he said, I got a friend of mine. He didn't have any Christian friends. He, wasn't, he said he wasn't even saved. He had gotten healed, but, but he was just the same. So he said, I got a friend of mine that played an instrument and had his own car, and we drove to a farmhouse, and we asked the guy that owned the farmhouse, if we could have a revival here for next week. And the guy said, how long do these revivals last? And Lester said, I said, how am I supposed to know? <laughs> he said, this is the first one I ever did. So he starts preaching at 16 and uh, ends up getting saved after one of his own sermons. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I actually need to make things right with God. Well, a couple years down the line, he's preaching in, in a farmhouse. And all of a sudden, he said he's standing up on stage. They were leading worship. And the scene, the people vanished before him. And he said it was like a movie, movie screen appeared in front of him. He, does, he didn't know it doctrinally, but that's called an open vision. If you study visions, there's different kinds of visions. And that's, that's called an open vision. In fact, if you study Pentecostal history, people in groups had open visions. There, were, uh, there, was a church, there was a revival called the Welsh Revival, and all the coal miners in Wales would come directly from the coal mine to church. And one night, a vision appeared before all the people of a lamb with a crown of thorns on its head on a cross with blood drip, dripping out of its head onto the floor, and everybody saw it. But two kids, 8 and 10 years old, Stephen and George Jeffries, left their seats and went up under the cross in the vision and lifted their hands to worship. And both of those brothers ended up with two of the mightiest healing ministries that there ever was. You can, you can look it up when you go home. George Jeffries and Stephen Jeffries. Stephen Jeffries, there's a hall. I think the, it's still the same hall up in England. It's called Royal Albert Hall. It's an 8,000-seater. He would have service in it round the clock. So like picture like now, like this room's full, except that one was an 8,000-seater. You can come up. You're my... Wife, sister, so you can do whatever you want. Um, so you, you, you look like, oh, my, my wife, sister's driving with an entourage like she's Suge Knight. <laughs> Leaving the Source Awards in 1994. Um, so you, you see how like this place is packed. Well, imagine if it was packed like this and we had to turn away because of five, except 8,000 people. And we had to turn away. Oh, man, there's people in the lobby. Just wanted to say hi. 
So imagine if you did it like this, but with 8,000 people, and then what they did was all the people that couldn't get in, they said the line would be about a mile long outside of Royal Albert Hall. So they'd fill it 8,000, have a line of people waiting to get in. He'd do the service for about two hours. They'd clear the meeting for 30 minutes, have everybody get out, clean it up a little bit. He'd go in the back and have some grapes and some juice and then come out and they'd fill it again and he'd just go 2 a.m., 5 a.m., 8 a.m., 11 a.m., 2 p.m. And the reason, you say, why was it packing out like that? The guy that was the head of the British Assemblies of God at that point, his name was Howard Carter. He went to check the meeting out himself because he was hearing about all the miracles and he was thinking, I don't think so. The people are probably exaggerating or this guy's like some kind of charlatan. So he said he went there and there was a guy. Now, if, you, if you're probably 50 or older, you've probably been in evangelistic meetings where they would call people out that had one leg shorter than the other and pray for them. You know, and it'd be two inches shorter, four inches shorter, four inches. That's, that's a miracle. He said this guy's leg wasn't, wasn't uh, four inches shorter or six inches shorter. The one leg ended where the knee of the other leg ended. It was 18 inches shorter. So he said Stephen Jeffries was preaching, and he jumped down off the platform, ran over the seats. This is in England. You know, in Florida, it's like a free-for-all. But England, they're very, very strict. They have, like, monocles and stuff. He, you know, it's like, how many ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Yeah. Now, you think any, any culture, Georgia or Tennessee, you go into a funeral and pick the corpse up under the armpits, and pull it out of the coffin and slam it against the wall and command it to live. That's going to shock some people. I mean, at that point, you've committed like three felonies. <laughs> you let alone doing it in 1880s England. People were like grabbing their chest and falling over. So, so he runs over the top of the seats, points at that guy, and says, leg, I command you in Jesus' name to grow. And Howard Carter said, I watched that man's leg grow out in the foot form. And he said, I, this is Howard Carter's direct quote, I'm a conservative man in a country full of conservative people. He said people did cartwheels down the aisles. People ran and jumped and jumped on the seats. That's why if you're, if you're here training for the ministry and they tell you like, you know, the people here are very conservative. Let me tell you something. When miracles break out, it opens people's spirit up and they praise God. The Bible says, oh, how they praised God. And there was great joy in the city. Can you say amen? amen. Mir miracles do something. That's why we're having a miracle service tonight. Amen. My cousin Teddy was just preaching in Tomball, Texas. There was a lady there that had COPD on oxygen. If she wasn't walking or if she wasn't seated, she needed oxygen. The Lord healed her COPD and her alcoholic husband, who would not come to church, who killed a man on their property, like a rough alcoholic, he killed a guy for being on his property, trespassing, which in Texas you're allowed to do. Texas, you're allowed to have friends come over and help you. <laughs> so they didn't find him guilty. When, when his wife came home off of oxygen, he was in church the next Sunday with no one asking him and came and got saved. Miracles do. See, the Bible without miracles, it's just theory. It's just one of many religions. But the thing that separates Christianity from the other religions is you don't see miracles. And I'm not saying this to knock other religions. You, you don't see miracles in Buddhist temples or mosques because they don't, they, they don't even push for them because the founder was a man who passed. So they study what he taught. 
But in Christianity, which in a lot of America, that's all they do with the Bible. It's like you're reading about George Washington or some figure from history. But you remember there's a book in the Bible, the last book, that's called Revelation, where Jesus reappears from heaven and says, Behold, I am the living one who died. But look, now I am alive. Everybody say, He's alive. And I live forevermore. And I hold the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Then over one chapter later, Revelation chapter 2, Jesus said, I am, the, I am uh, the heir to David's throne, and I hold the key of David. What's the key of David? He tells you in the next sentence. I open a door that no man can shut, and I shut a door that no man can open. Can you say amen? amen. And so because Christ is alive, and the Bible says, I mean, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Because he humbled himself and died a criminal's death on the cross, God has exalted him to new heights in heaven and has given him a name that is above every name. That at the mention, you don't have to shout it, you don't have to say it crying your eyes out, at the mention of the name of Jesus. If somebody says that name on CNN, they go to commercial. If somebody brings that name up on the view, two ladies storm up off the stage. Because God is generic. God means a million things to a million different people. But the name of Jesus is not God. It's a specific name, and there's power in that name. Demons tremble at the name of Jesus. Cancer dies at the mention of the name of Jesus. Everything that is above the earth on the earth and under the earth, has to bow at the mention of that name. Now, some people uh, that, that know doctrine or think they know doctrine pretty well would say, well, that's kind of a stretch to say that means that sickness has to bow. That's talking about final judgment. But Peter didn't think so. He knew a little bit. He said, let me plainly state when he healed that crippled man in Acts 3 and a crowd gathered because that man that was crippled was walking. Peter said, why do you marvel at me as though we've done this by our own holiness? Let me plainly state that faith, this is Acts chapter 3, faith in the name of Jesus has made this man to walk again. Not faith in Jesus, faith in the name of Jesus. Faith in the name of Jesus. That because he died a criminal's death, God has exalted him to new heights in heaven and has given him a name that is above every name. Can you say amen? So anyway, I was telling you about uh, visions. And that was Stephen Jeffries. His brother, George Jeffries, also had a healing ministry. And what happened was the Queen of Holland was unable to have children. And she came for prayer, and he prayed for her, and God opened her womb. So word got out, because, you know, the whole royal family is, like, inter, interrelated. I won't say inbred. We'll just say interrelated. <laughs> and so word got through the royal family and what would happen was anytime somebody was sick in the royal family, they'd send a, a Rolls Royce to go pick up George Jeffries, take him to Buckingham Palace, and pray for whoever was sick. I think maybe the Lord's having me share about this stuff because you saw in the last 18 months that when word came out that that virus, and see, anytime you start talking like this, people think you don't take coronavirus seriously or these people deny. I know people that have actually died. Yeah, no kidding. I know... I, I, we don't deny the reality of cancer. The Bible doesn't deny problems. The Bible lets you know that you have power over problems. The Bible says Jesus was on a boat 
and a storm rose up. When they woke him up and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Jesus said, no, there's no storm. There's no storm. There's no storm. Come on, say it with me, guys. There's no No, no I'm, I'm like saying what he didn't say. You don't know how That's called an analogy. So you, but you're a very cooperative crowd. No, faith doesn't deny that there's a storm. Faith speaks to the storm. I don't know what kind of Christianity they've come up with that tells you. I mean, I hear messages all the time about how to cope with the storm, how to, how to cope with the storms of life. Jesus is an anchor in our storm. No, he's not an anchor in our storm. Jesus was only ever in one storm. They didn't tie a chain to him and throw him overboard and him anchor the ship. You don't anchor in a storm. Jesus was only in one storm, and how did he deal with it? He spoke to the storm and commanded it in the Aramaic, the harshest shut up. He went to the edge of the boat and said, wind and waves, shut up. And immediately, everybody say immediately. immediately. The wind stopped and the sea became like glass. And they went over to the other side. Faith doesn't deny problems. Faith deals with problems. Can you say amen? amen. How many ever heard of the old evangelist R.W. Shambach? R.W. Shambach had a tagline on all his radio programs. You don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. Do you know where he got that from? There was a guy when he was preaching in Buffalo. You know, they, they'd pray for people in the meetings. And then people's families would get faith for loved ones they had that uh, didn't know the law, that, that, you know, were sick or whatever. So they would intercede for people. Well, there was a guy getting ready to die in the intensive care unit. And he told the story that the priest came in and read him his last rites and then left. And he said as soon as he left, he started hearing other footprints come down the hall. And in walked Jesus through the wall. And he said Jesus walked up to him and didn't pray for him. He leaned over him and said with a smile, you don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. And he said when he said that to him, he received that. And he got up, unplugged himself, and walked out of the hospital. Well, they, they, they thought he was having like an adverse reaction to the morphine. But he walked right out, came to the meeting the next night, completely healed, and told the crowd what happened and what Jesus said. And Brother Shambach took that from the 70s and said that till he went home to be with the Lord. That was his new game. The mic, you don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. Yeah, trouble's real, but Jesus is realer. Amen. And Jesus doesn't have to bow to your trouble. Your trouble has to bow to Christ. Can you say Amen. And so, and, and so that's how this thing spread. I want you, if you have your Bible, open it with me to Romans chapter 15. Acts 15, 16. Sorry, Romans 15, 16. You guys misheard me. I'm a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I brought you the gospel so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God, made holy by the Holy Spirit. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything 
except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God. Now, Paul did a great job bringing the Gentiles to God. You think of this. Like, I get to show up here tonight. There's a podium and a sound system. And then if I took a show of hands, it'd probably be 90-plus percent of the people sitting here right now believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Almost everywhere Paul went, he was the only Christian. People had been worshiping different gods for 3,000 years, 5,000 years, 7,000 years. And then he shows up and starts telling them about a different God. Well, what would make people abandon what they had known? Yeah, that's a big deal. You get a tradition in your family, that's what people do. Forget religion. People, your dad gets mad if you, if you start rooting for a different football team. What are you doing? We, we root for, for, for uh, the, the, the Falcons in this team or what, in this family or whatever. Well, he's going, all these people have different gods and religion's spiritual. You know, people, just, they drag him out of the city to kill him. What made whole cities, I mean, where can you go now? Where can you go on planet Earth where there isn't a St. Paul, Sao Paulo, San Pedro, the guy shakes the world in half a lifetime, and he's going to tell you how he did it. They were convinced by the, I brought the Gentiles to God, two things, by my message. Everybody say, my message. T.L. Osborne, one of those books I got out of the library, it was called The Message That Works. You tell people that Jesus died for them. You tell them that no matter how deep they are in sin, there's nothing they've done that the blood of Jesus won't cancel out. People think they've messed up too bad. But the gospel means good news. The good news is that no matter who you are or what you've done, the Bible says we can all have our sins forgiven in this self-same manner. Can you say amen? And then you roll it over into sickness and disease. People think they're too, you know, I... I wish these meetings were three months ago, but they say now I have a 0% chance of recovery because, uh, well, you ask them, what's the problem? I have blood pressure problems. Did you ever read about when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? Lazarus didn't have blood pressure problems. He had no blood pressure. <laughs> zero over zero. He didn't have vision problems. He was blind in both eyes, deaf in both ears, and paralyzed from the skull down. He was dead. And Jesus said, roll the stone aside. And he said, Lazarus, come out. My grandfather that preached for 62 years said if he didn't say Lazarus, come out, he'd have cleared the whole graveyard out if he'd have just said come out. And, and notice, when Lazarus emerged, before he could take another step, Jesus said, loose that man and let him go. So he didn't come walking out like a Scooby-Doo mummy. They didn't individually wrap the legs. He was wrapped in a sheet. Picture it. And when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And then Jesus said, unwrap him and let him go. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection. I am the life. They that believe in me, though they were dead, yet shall they live. God wants you to have an encounter with him tonight. Amen. I started talking about Lester Summerall. That, that's what happened with him, tuberculosis. It's very easy to tell people that God will heal you when you were going to die in about two hours and Jesus raised you up. It's one thing to know about God, but it's another thing to have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Can I tell you something? Whatever you came in here with tonight, it's staying in the sanctuary. You're going home free and delivered, not by might, 
not by power, but by the Spirit of Almighty God. Come on, if you believe that with me. Take 15 seconds, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout. Hallelujah. Dominion over the devil. Dominion over sickness and disease. Dominion over addiction. Dominion over poverty. Christ came to give man back what the devil took. Tonight, Jesus will take off you whatever the devil put on you, and he'll give you back whatever the devil stole. If you believe it, shout, I receive it. Everybody say, by my message. I brought them to God by my message, but then there's an end. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus had great compassion on the multitudes, for they were like sheep without a shepherd, and they didn't know where to go for help. And it tells you how he ministered to them. He taught, then preached, then healed. He didn't just speak. American Christianity has devolved into just speaking. You finish your message and you close in prayer. We have prayer partners in the corners of the room and if you want to stay after and get prayer, they're over there. But otherwise, we're out of time. You know, you hear people come to the platform. I, I, I can't get it, you know. Hey, I mean, first words out of their mouth. I'm not going to be long. What's your hurry? You build a $3.5 million building to use it for 80 minutes once a week and step up and start apologizing right off the bat. I'm not going to be long. Why do they gear church for people that don't want to be there? You know, church isn't, for me, I love God. Church isn't a waste of my time. I don't go to things I don't want to be at. So if, if, why gear to lukewarm people that want to make sure they're out in time because they already have a 12-15 reservation on open table to have mimosas with their girlfriends? Now, if you want to go to that kind of church, there's no shortage of them. We're in Florida. You've got to drive by 13 churches to get to the one you're going to. But there should be a place where people can go that are hurting and dying and need the touch of the master that can come into contact with God. Everybody say, by my message. But he didn't finish there. And by the way that I worked among them. So by my message and, how did I bring the Gentiles to God? By my message and by the way that I worked among them. Well, how did he work among them? So then some people, you know, Americans, they'd read that. Well, yeah, that's true. You not only have to speak, you have to work among the people. We give out bottled water on hot days. We give out blankets in the winter. We give out socks to homeless people. And that's all great. We feed 1,200 kids a day. You're supposed to do that. Jesus said to feed the hungry. But the, Paul's going to tell you that's not what he's talking about. People can go to hell with socks on or socks off. People can go to hell with a full stomach or an empty stomach. Until something changes on the inside, nothing will ever change on the outside. Jesus came to change man from the inside out. Now, that has an effect on your outside. That's actually where healing comes. I mentioned it in the beginning. Everybody say body, soul, and spirit. So the difference between how Christ heals and how doctors heal is doctors work on the body, which is fine. Then you have like metaphysics and Christian scientists that works on the mind. 
where you think positive thoughts and they try to bring healing through your mind. But healing from the Bible comes into the spirit of a man. That's how Jesus healed by his word and the word comes into your spirit. Can you say amen? amen? Abraham believed those things which were spoken unto him and God counted his righteousness unto him and Abraham's body grew strong and was empowered by faith. Everybody say by faith. So the word brings healing. He watches over his word to perform it. He sent his word, Psalm 107 verse 20. He sent his word and it healed them. The word healed them. How many of you listen to me and a, me or Adalis on YouTube at least weekly? How many of you have ever, don't lie. How many of you have ever felt the Lord do something tangible in your body just listening to the word? Because God's word brings healing. Just like you can, you can listen to negative things and negative things happen. But if you listen to God's word, God's word brings a, a positive flow from heaven into your being. One of the things that God's word brings is faith. Romans 10, 17. Faith, come, I heard a guy pray the other week. He said, Father, overwhelm our unbelief with your goodness. That's not how it works. Faith is what drives out unbelief and faith only comes one way. You can't sing for more faith. You can't cry for more faith. You can't pray for more faith. Faith cometh by? And hearing by the word of God. And that second hearing constitutes understanding. Faith cometh by hearing and understanding the word of God. If I had time to talk to you one-on-one, -on -one, some of you could tell me a story. You were listening to somebody preach. And when they preached it, it was like the light went on. And you, Oh, I, I get that now. If Jesus did that, or if the Bible says that, then I don't have to deal with problems. I'll tell you one in particular. My, um, the first church I worked at when I was 19, it was called St. Paul Evangelical Church in Lexington, Massachusetts. And the pastor liked me a lot. And then he found out I had a cousin who preached, Teddy. And so he said, would your cousin come and preach? So he, I was 19, he was 18. They had him in to do a youth weekend, and they had him do Sunday night. I still remember Teddy, my cousin, got on the piano on Sunday night, and he played an old Pentecostal song. I think, Mar I think um, not Mariah Woodworth, who's the other lady? Lillian Yeomans wrote it and would sing it in her healing meetings. I'm not under the curse. I'm not under the curse. Jesus has set me free. For poverty, I have wealth. For sickness, I have health. I'm not under the curse anymore. And she wrote that song based on her revelation of Galatians chapter 3, Verse 13, if you have the scripture program you guys were running the last couple of days, you can put it up. Galatians 3.13, this is a key scripture in the Bible. But Christ hath redeemed us from all the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everything that is hung on a tree. How did Jesus die? Did he die by firing squad? Was he hung? Was, uh, what, no, I mean like with a rope. No. Was he stoned to death? No. He was nailed to a cross because that was to fulfill the scripture. Cursed is everything that is hung on a tree. When Christ was hung on the cross, he became the curse for our wrongdoing. But Christ hath redeemed us from all the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Why did God turn his head from his own son? Because the curse and the sin 
that was on mankind was laid on Christ on the cross. But when God turned his head from his son, he turned his head towards us so that we could now have relationship with God and call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Verse 14. For it is written that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. What's Gentile? Anybody that's not Jewish. So the Jewish people were who the blessing came to originally, through Abraham. But God told Abraham, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So if you're Puerto Rican or Dominican or Angolan, I've been meeting all kinds, kinds of people from all different places here. Russian, Ukrainian. The, the plan of God from the beginning was that through Christ, the Italians, on down the line, that the blessing of God would come to everybody on planet earth on the day of Pentecost. Didn't Peter stand up? and say this promise is to you and your children, yea, even to those that are afar off. Talking about Apopka, Florida, and Hobbs, New Mexico, and all these places, that Christ died, that lost men and women could be saved all over the world. Amen. And I want to throw something in while I'm on that, that, that people can be saved. The word saved in the original language, S-O-Z-O, sozo, which means the restoration of the entire man. Because many places that you go here preaching, you receive Jesus, and now you can go to heaven, and best of luck for the next 40 years. But that's not Christianity. He came to restore your mind. Peace I give to you. You don't have to be on antidepressants. You can be whole by the power of God. You don't have to be on chemotherapy or go for cancer treatment or kidney treatment two times a month. He came to restore body, soul, and spirit what the devil took. Can you say amen? amen. Romans uh, 15. I like preaching in faith churches because you don't have to preach that long. Because the, the people already know because know, they've been taught well. There's like almost like nothing to break through, which is great. If I prayed right now, we'd have good results because people came, you, you know. But it's good to hear. I know too. It's good to hear it again. I actually enjoy hearing my own preaching. I feel like giving in my own offering. The way I worked among them. How did Paul work among them? Verse 19. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way have I fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to that again. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. Everybody say the power of God's Spirit. In this way have I fully preached the gospel. So Paul actually taught it as a, a doctrine that you have not fully preached the gospel until you've demonstrated the power of God behind the gospel that you're preaching. There were Pentecostal organizations up through the 40s in the United States that would not let you hold credentials with them until you could, could prove that you had three miracles. And I, I, I don't mean like, I don't mean like uh, I'm from the Northeast. Like you see, especially get up to like Vermont, there's a lot of what we like to call space cadets where they're like, you know, a miracle, the grass grows. I see miracles every day, the grass grows, the sun rises. No, I'm not talking about those kind of miracles. I'm talking about Bible miracles are God suspending the laws of nature to come in and do what he wants. So you had to show to get credentials. You didn't just have to go to Bible school. You had to show, like Paul said, make full proof of your ministry. You had to prove 
with medical reports that you had had at least three miracles. And they meant miracles. They didn't mean somebody had a sinus problem and you prayed for them. And after spring was over, it went away. And many of us grew up in full gospel churches that the only time you ever heard about any miracle, it was never really a miracle. It was like, you know, we prayed and then, then she went for treatment and after six months, praise the Lord, the treatments worked. Well, that's not a miracle. Jesus didn't need the assistance of doctors. And, and I've told you, if, if, if you're here for the first time tonight, we're not against doctors. We're, we, we like people here. And doctors are good people. If it wasn't for doctors, 90% of Christians would be dead because that, that's the only way they know how, how to get healed. And it's not their fault. But God's going to change things. Can you say amen? amen? Because what are you going to do if another... Jesus didn't say there'll be one plague before I return. He said there'll be plagues. Everybody say plagues. plagues. Yeah, it's plural. There'll be plagues. So this one came. Originally, they thought it was going to have a 2% kill rate. Thank God it was much lower. What if one did come that had a 2% kill rate? And it didn't just affect primarily people that are 75 and older. It affected, what are you going to do? If people shut down the church for one with a 99 point whatever, five, seven uh, uh, survival rate, what would you do if one came that killed 10% of everybody that got it? You're going to shut the church down for three years and weld yourself in your home? Or would there be a group of Christians that like Jesus, when people shun the lepers, they lay their hands on the sick and see them recover? Hallelujah. Any church that allows a disease to determine when it can meet is a backslidden church. Because disease doesn't have authority over the church. The church has authority over every sickness and every disease. Can you say amen? Now what happens when you start talking like that? Two things. Number one, you start ticking devils off. There's a lot of people, if they got a hold of this clip, you know, YouTube might, might shut us off YouTube. And then if CNN got it, you heard CNN all during last year. These people think they can pray a virus away. Can pray more than a virus away. I'm going to pray you away. I'll go buy your building in Atlanta when I'm done. Cash. Hallelujah. Because prayer works. Jesus said you can pray for anything. Mark 11, 22. Put, put it up on the screen if you would. Mark 11, 22 uh, through 24. Mark 11, 24. You can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received, you'll have whatsoever you say. 24. Verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, whatever things you, how much? Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. What are you believing for the Lord to do for you tonight? I'm not looking for you to get a little better. If you'll put your faith out and say, I'm done being the devil's whipping post. Tonight I receive what Jesus paid for on the cross. The Bible tells me you're not going home disappointed. You're going home as a testimony to the power of God. And the, re the reason a lot of people don't preach this is, is it, it, ticks, it, it causes uh, problems in the natural. You know, people, people, Jesus preached stuff like this. They picked up rocks to kill him. They don't like, the devil doesn't like, there's a palatable Bible that the devil doesn't have a problem with. But that guy brought up at the beginning, John G. Lake, he called it a strong man's gospel. When you start preaching and letting people know that the devil's a chump and he got defeated 2,000 years ago and he's under your feet, not over your head. 
The devil doesn't like it. People get mad. People write blogs about you. And that's enough to discourage some people. They, they read one bad thing. We got some negative Facebook comments. And, and they shut down. But you have to remember, the, if the devil's getting mad, there's a reason he's getting mad. Brennan, wherever you are, if you would, get that video queued up of, of the week we did in Camden, New Jersey. Because I did an outdoor crusade in Camden, New Jersey. And I know a lot of you are from uh, the Northeast, New Jersey and New York. Camden had the highest violent crime rate. It doesn't anymore. But up through about 2016, it, per capita, it had the highest murder rate in the country. If you counted cities that had under 100,000 people. So a door opened for me to go preach there. And I put up a stage because back then, I thought, you know, if what I'm preaching is true, then it should work anywhere. You shouldn't have to get 200 Christians in an air-conditioned room that already sort of believe what you're saying. You should be able to do what T.L. Osborne did in Africa and India, where you just pop up a stage and start letting people know what Jesus did, and then Jesus come and confirm the word. And I'm going to tell you, since 2015 or 2016, I haven't had it in my heart until now. But 2015 and 2016, and I'm not going to go into it, but the enemy was looking to destroy America then, and it was close. That's actually why that year we went seven different cities, and I pay for everything, hundred and some thousand apiece, 180,000. I have to come up with all the money. The guy that runs our money for our ministry said, just so you know, by June you'll be out of money. And he wasn't speaking in unbelief. I didn't say, I rebuke you. You know, he's an accountant. He's just telling me. All the best, Reverend. You're doing a great job, but you're going to be out of money by June. But now... Sometimes you, you, you want to say stuff, but then, like, people, they just go get into, like, Donald Trump, Hillary. But I want you to look back and think. In 2016, I felt to do this because I knew that if Hillary Clinton got in, there was going to be a major problem in the country. Now, forget how you feel about Trump or Hillary. Think of this. If Hillary Clinton had won, she would have appointed three new Supreme Court justices and every time we challenged for churches to stay open, it would have got rejected either 5-4 or 6-3. Because as it is, all those challenges only held up by one judge. So if that would have gone differently in 2016, we would have been no different than Canada, where I have family who pastors. Not my one like half backslidden cousin that shut his church down, but my sister and brother-in-law, pastor in Montreal. This is on Mother's Day of this year. They showed up to church. The police were outside of the church. Everybody had to show ID to come to church, and they were all fined 1500 a person. If you had a family of, of five, you were fined 1500 for the dad, 1500 for the mom, 1500 per kid. Even the Soviet Union didn't do that. I actually, you know, I miss the mafia running things. Because even the mafia wouldn't touch the church. They did a better job running New York, to be honest. Of course, you had to have a garbage truck blow up every once in a while, but <laughs> even they wouldn't touch the church. Canada, that. South Africa. Pastor just pointed, posted on his Instagram today, police harassing his members, going to find them. Military police. All through Europe. And now I realize all these years later why I felt the Lord speak to me to go into all these cities and preach. Because if it had gone differently in 2016, we'd have been up against it. We wouldn't have had legal backing. 
challenge it to the Supreme Court, and you get shot down. Then you also had 200, you know, this is not a pro-Trump, Trump, Trump's not in office, so this is not a pro-Trump speech, but for whatever reason, Trump liked preachers, and he liked like my kind of preachers. So he, he, he put people in that were favorable for the church, and those 200 new federal judges that he put in bought us time. Because there's a devil that wants to move in and shut the church down. There's a preacher named Tony Suarez. He's a good guy. He came to preach at the stand with Dr. Rodney. And Dr. Rodney couldn't get almost anybody to come preach at the stand. I'm talking full gospel preachers. I'm not getting, one guy said, I'm not getting on a plane and risking my life. Yeah, good. Stay home. Risk your life there. Where do people get COVID anyway? What's the majority place people get COVID according to come? Stay home, save lives. No, stay home and you die. So stupid. We want people to be healthy, so don't go to the beach. Stay indoors. No, sunshine's actually good for you. Now, here in Florida, you got to be a little careful because you'll die. <laughs> I take one phone call outside and come back home. I'm a different color. I'm purple. <laughs> Like my own race, purple. So I knew the enemy was trying to destroy things then. And then now, now you see that it's like the Antichrist spirit. Turn to Revelation 13. Because these are the things people kind of know about, they know it's in the Bible. They've heard it mentioned in church, but they've never seen it in Scripture, so I want you to see it. Revelation 13, verse 11. John said, Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast, and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast. So I want you to notice that. The Antichrist is not just going to be a political leader. The Bible says he will exalt himself again above every God there is and claim that he himself is God. Because you have people on Christian TV, I believe the Antichrist is going to be a Muslim. Well, you're wrong. The Bible says he's going to exalt himself against above every God there is and claim that he is God. And he's going to require everybody to get a mark that we're going to read, and that mark is not just going to be economic. Of course, we're going to read it. No man could buy or sell without a mark in their hand or in their forehead. But if you read in Revelation 14, that mark is not just an economic mark. It is a mark of allegiance to worship the beast. I brought up that guy, Tony Suarez. I said, how come you agreed to come preach here? Because when he came and preached at Dr. Rodney's, this was still when we were in the fog, June of 2020. That was like the only gathering on planet Earth. That was having lots of people. I mean, all kinds of people were taking pictures and posting it on websites. Look at these idiots. And people didn't want to come preach, A, because they were afraid they were going to get sick. B, they didn't want to, quote, unquote, hurt their ministry. So I asked him, because he had never preached for Dr. Rodney before. I said, what made you decide during this thing? You know, this is June of 2020. Dr. Rodney couldn't get the people from the company he ordered the sound equipment from to come down and install it. The head of the company said, my wife doesn't want me leaving Massachusetts and going down to Florida. It's a hot zone. First of all, if you ever start a sentence with, my wife doesn't want, you just, you need to ask the Lord to do a recreative miracle in your midsection. Amen. So 
moving on. Tony Suarez, I said, uh, I said, why is it that you agreed to come? He told me his dad was from Colombia. And when they moved communism into Colombia, his dad's a preacher and his dad fought against it. He said, when we moved to America, my father told me in Spanish, son, because if you know Bible prophecy, you know the day will come. His dad said, son, the day will come in America where they try to close churches down and take your Bibles. When they do, fight against it with every fiber of your being. And he said, to honor my father, that's why I'm here. Well, I, I felt like he's my brother because I listened to my dad at eight and nine years old. I remember uh, one time I was 10 and my dad preached on Bible prophecy and the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and how there'd be a one world government and a one world economy. And I said to my father, because I, I had started taking history in school. So I said, now, dad, I don't not believe you because everything you preached was in the Bible. But how, with the way the Constitution is set up and the Bill of Rights, and U.S. sovereignty, how could the day ever come where America comes under a one-world government and under a one-world economy? And he was quiet. We were driving home from church, and he said, I don't know, son, other than the day would have to come where there's an assault against those things that gets them to collapse. Now, I, I was 10. I'm 40 now. I never forgot that in 30 years, that if these things are going to happen, which they are, then a day will come and that's why I brought up Lester Summerall in the beginning. Lester Summerall was a missionary all his life. And then in the Philippines, he was praying. He started a church. There was no church in the Philippines that had more than 200 people. And he started a church of 20,000 people. And I won't go into that story, but if you're watching online, there's a book called Bitten by Devils, the Clarita Villanueva story, and that'll tell you the story of how the Lord used him in Manila to start that church of 20,000. So he's praying in the Philippines, and the Lord speaks to him. Get back to America. That country is in worse shape than this one. That's in the 60s. And he said, Lord, what are you talking about? This is a pagan nation. You know, America is America. And the Lord, you can look it up on YouTube when you get home. Lester Summerall preached a message where he told <coughs> seven things that the Lord showed him would happen in America. I'm going to tell you this. He preached that on his TV station in the early 80s. And preachers, full gospel preachers, thought he lost his mind. He said the day will come in America. This is in like 83 these are the seven things the Lord showed me would happen to America as they began to seek after. Well, that was the first thing. He said America will start to chase after foreign gods. Hinduism will come into America. Buddhism will come to America. He said when the Lord told me that, I said, Lord, why would the Americans do that? Those religions haven't ever done anything for those people. They haven't helped anybody in those nations. God said first, they'll turn against me and start to seek after other gods. Then he said, it'll get... There'll be such a destruction of the family and home in America that it'll get to the point where they're unable to have school in public schools because the teachers won't be able to keep order. Then he said, three, the day will come. Now think of this, 83, gay marriage wasn't illegal. Homosexuality was illegal. They had sodomy laws in America. That was illegal. He said, the day will come where there'll be gay Parades that celebrate homosexuality and the mayor will lead the parade. He's on TV saying this in 83. People are like, 
I'm telling you, preachers were like, you need to take an offering for, for Brother Summer and send him on like a vacation. He lost his mind. You say that now, and now it all came to pass. Got the mayor in every small town leading the parade. He said, God said, homosexual, homosexuality will be celebrated there. And then the next thing. So that's a big pill to swallow. Then he says the next thing. And then that will lead to the push to legalize pedophilia. 83. People are like, all right, I'm done with your ministry. This guy needs to chill. He saw it all by vision from God. So the Lord didn't just tell him, and, and, and we're in it now. See, he had a tough job. My dad had a tough job because my dad's preaching in the late 80s about getting a microchip under your skin when, 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 when the, the best technology we had was Velcro. <laughs> Lester Summerall's teaching that when it sounds astronomical, but now I have an easier job because all the stuff they prophesied is par for the course. Yeah. But God didn't just tell him the bad things that were going to happen. He said, now here's the plan. And this is what I want to leave you with here. Because a lot of Christians, I've had to unfollow a lot of them on Instagram, they are defeatists. They only talk about what the, there's, there's one guy, I wrote to him today, because he wrote, lockdowns are coming. I wrote, no, they're not. What do you just repeat what the enemy says? There is still a law in the Bible called binding and loosing. Whatsoever you bind on earth, I'll bind it in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth, I'll loose it in heaven. And I'm not wrong. Because how come we're not going through what they're going through in Canada? How come we're not going through what they're going through in Europe? How come we're not having happen here? What happened in South Africa? Think of it. You read the Rockefeller Papers. It's called Operation Lockstep. Every government moves in tandem to promote the same thing. But there's one nation they couldn't get it to stick. Because here, there is still a group of Holy Ghost-filled Christians that say you're not going to shut down the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Yeah. Part of the job, put them, let's finish Revelation 13, then I'm going to read you one more thing. Verse 16. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on or in their right hand. That word can be used either way. Or on or in their forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark. Now, when I read that in the 80s, I thought, well, then the day is going to have to come where you're, you're going to have to cross a bridge at some point where you tell people they have to get something injected into them to participate in society. So is the vaccine the mark of the beast? No, it's not. But it should be resisted the same way on the, gr on the ground. See, if it, now listen to me now. If they would have just made it available, whatever. But when you start having open discussion about whether you're going to be able to have interstate travel, which they just passed in Canada. As of September 15th, without a miracle, my sister won't be able to leave Quebec. You won't be, not Canada, Quebec. She won't be able to leave her province unless she gets vaccinated. No different than if she lived in East Germany back, back in the, the, the 50s and 60s. I won't see her. I won't see her till heaven if that goes through. 
That's what they're doing in Canada. That's what they're doing in South Africa. And I want to say it. And I got people watching me from all over the world. And I'm not saying it to shame the Christians. I'm saying it to shame your leaders. You can't comply your way out of tyranny. And I'm glad I'm, glad I'm ordained with who I'm ordained with. Rodney Howard Brown, that got arrested, said in the beginning of March, any rights you lay down this side of the pandemic, you won't pick them up on the other side. What are we in? Month 17 of 15 days to slow the spread? Now you got variants. Now you got now, now they've just approved a booster for the fall. If you start allowing a vaccine passport, do you think that's the last thing? Do you think that's the last thing that you're going to have to do to get this to turn green? You're going to have to be a citizen in good standing with the state. You're going to have to have your taxes paid. You're going to have to have not made any comments online that the government disagrees with. That's the route they're going. You don't fight it when you're backed into a corner. You fight it the second you sniff that devil out and say, I'm not going that route. And I want to tell you, not that I need to tell you in Florida, but there's people watching from communist states in the United States. For a governor to get on Facebook Live and tell you what freedoms they're going to give you, or if you do this soon, we're going to allow you. You don't allow me to do anything. You don't grant me freedom. I am born free as a man created in the image of God. Every woman here, you're free. The government doesn't grant you freedom. God gave you freedom, and nobody can take it from you. My daughter's eight years old. In April, I don't, I, I'm not a pastor yet. We're building our church right now. I had to drive two hours from Pittsburgh to go to an open church in America. And I did. I don't get up here and just yell and then go home. I, well, well, they're not asking you to not be, a, to, to lay down your faith. They're just not asking you to go to church. That's part of my faith. What do you think, we invented that in the last 30 years? <laughs> Hebrews 10, 25. You should be meeting together more often. Not less often. You should be meeting together more often. Meeting how? Meeting together. Well, how many of you know whether we meet at home or whether we meet in person, it's the same. No, Jesus taught. And you know, I consider Jesus an expert in the Christian faith. Jesus taught that there's a greater blessing when two or three gather. You know, they did that study that 40-some percent of church members hadn't logged on to their church's website one time. You go, you got to be smoking some serious crack as a minister to think everybody, what did you think? Families are home, the dad's in a suit, the mom's in a dress, the kid, and they're standing there watching the live stream. Flipping on for two minutes with Cheetos in their chest hair. Then get a phone call or something, do something else. How do you anoint people with oil on Skype? How do you water baptize on Skype? How do you serve communion on Skype? How do you administer the baptism of the Holy Ghost on Skype? There's, there are people that said, you know, well, everything we do live, we can do online. Yes. That's true for them, because you let your, your, what you let your church turn into a stage show. 
But true Christianity is not a stage show. It is living power that comes into the room and sets the captive free. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. The only book of the Bible that sounds like a lunch meat. Of the Thessalonian sandwich. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you won't grieve like people who have no hope. Say it out loud. We don't grieve like people who have no hope. I'm going to tell you right now, you got a hard time convincing me if you're double mashed in a car by yourself that you're saved. If, if you're that worried about dying, something's wrong. You can wear four masks and dip yourself in less oil two times a day. You're still going to die. It is appointed unto every man once to die and after that the judgment. Goal's not to stay alive. The goal's to make impact while you're here and then secure your eternity. My grandma, we just buried my grandma five weeks ago. I didn't cry one tear. She's 94. She's a Christian. She's in heaven. Oh, Lord, bring her. I didn't pray. You know, I'm a minister. My family knows I'm a minister. Jonathan, grandma's not doing good. You need to pray. I'm not praying. Go home. <laughs> Go to heaven. I don't think most Christians actually believe there's heaven. <laughs> they, said, they said, my grandpa might die. Is he saved? Yeah. How old is he? 89. Let him go. <laughs> You'll see him again shortly. At least that's one thing Baptists were great at, talking about heaven. We'll meet on that shore where we meet to part no more in the sweet by and by. That's real. Can you say amen? amen. Heaven is real. That helps you live with no fear. You can only upgrade me. I got no fear of that. I'm not going to die. Long life's promised me. But I'm certainly not afraid of death. you got a wife and daughter. My wife's young and pretty. She could remarry easily. That was a joke, so just chill. <laughs> Stay alive. It's a great disco song. It's a bad life motto. My father just held meetings in Pakistan. And my dad has red hair. My dad has white Irish skin and red hair. He did not blend in. And he's six feet tall. Couldn't have blended in any less. Looks like he should be guarding a pot of gold in Killarney, Ireland. In a green suit with a matching green hat. Where he went, he didn't, he didn't go to Lahore, which you're not even allowed to hold outdoor meetings there, but at least it's like a, a, a tourist city and an international city. My dad went to places where they'd never preached outside. They had 20,000 people the last night. My dad stood up and preached Christ to them, and he told them to bring anybody on the platform that had been healed after they prayed. 
Well, they bring up an imam, which is like a Muslim pastor, the guy that runs the synagogue. My dad said, what's his testimony? What did God heal him of? Well, there was a miscommunication. His sons brought him up and said, our dad's paralyzed from the waist down, and we want you to pray for him. On the stage with 20,000 Muslims in a place where there's Sharia law. What Sharia law is, you're not even allowed to have a Bible on your person, and you're not allowed to tell anyone about Jesus one-on-one, let alone with a sound system. So my dad prayed. And when he got done praying, he said, now walk. Guy couldn't walk. So my, my dad, you know, your, your life's on the line. Picked him up and said, now walk. And he's just dragging. The guy's like two feet and just dragging. Well, the sons get mad. They start ye- yelling at him in their Pakistani language. They let, let our dad go. My dad said to them, like I heard him say many times, my dad's got authority. He went, back up. <laughs> and they backed up. My dad was praying, Father, do this for your glory. And he got about a third of the way across the stage. And the guy starts taking steps. The sun start jumping up and down. And they had over 20,000 people give their life to Jesus Christ in under five minutes. When I brought you the gospel, it was not in word only, but in power. In this way, it was a power. In this way, I fully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The full gospel message, it's a message of power. The Holy Ghost gave you full assurance that these things are true. In fact, we're in 1 Thessalonians. Jump over one page. 1 Thessalonians 1.5. For when we brought you the gospel, it was not only with words, but also with power. But say power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. Say it one more time. Word. Word. Say power. Power. My grandfather pastored in West Virginia. They were having a prayer meeting. Everybody's just walking around the church praying in tongues and they had a roof in that building like this one except it was wood. But by that I mean like you could see, you know, there was no like, like ceiling and then the roof. You could see the roof. So they're praying. They're all walking around praying in tongues. The fire department comes in the back and my grandfather said, can I help you? And they said, uh, uh, Reverend, we've gotten several calls. Your roof is on fire. There's a visible fire on your roof. If you think I'm sarcastic, you should have met my grandfather. He said to the fireman, I'm no fireman, but if there's fire on the, on the roof, shouldn't there be smoke in the ceiling? The guy went like this. Yeah. He said, what is that? My grandfather said, that's a fire that you can't put out. Yeah. Holy Ghost fire. Do you, do you think they could have had rioting in all the cities if there were Holy Ghost meetings going on every Sunday? No, they couldn't. So they had to convince the church to shut down so the devil could run the streets. But that'll be the last time that ever happens as long as I'm breathing air. Because it's not time for the church to shut down. It's time for the church to arise. Arise and shine for your light has come. Go ahead, take 15 seconds. Let God know he's got an army in Apopka, Florida that'll never bow to bail, never kiss his face. Somebody shout hallelujah. Continuing with our reading tonight. We don't grieve like those that have no hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves in their bodies. Bodily resurrection of the dead. I know that's hard to believe, but then you need to read the Bible. When Jesus died, what happened to the godly Jews that were in the tombs in Jerusalem? They, get, they came up out of their graves and walked around the city for several hours. Somebody say resurrection power. Resurrection power. Yeah, and and I, I've stopped saying this stuff because every time you say it, people get hung up on cremation. But that's why we don't cremate. That's why there's what's called a proper Christian burial. Where you bury the body with dignity because that body will come up out of the ground. Now, I've lost 13% of the crowd that's just going to wonder for the rest of their life whether their Aunt Edith will actually get to go to heaven or not. She will. But bodies have dignity. Did you ever read in the Bible that after Moses died, Michael the archangel contended with Satan over Moses? Satan couldn't destroy his body when he was alive. Then he wanted to destroy it after he was dead. Buddhists cremate. Islam, they cremate because the body's dead. To, for them, but Christ redeemed our physical bodies. Amen. That's what I'm telling you. You'll rise in your body. Amen. See, you learn now. I'm down to like nine people. That's why I don't talk about it. That's why you don't do it. That's why you don't try to save four grand. You give dignity to their body. Can you say amen? amen? Buried my grandpa, the one I was telling you about that preached all that time. Buried him in his Sunday suit holding his Bible. Why? That body will come up out of the ground and meet the Lord Jesus in the air. So comfort and encourage each other with these words. And that's why, I mean, since I'm ticking people off, the way I'm wired, I just keep going. That's why tattoos aren't forbidden in the Bible, but there is a kind of tattoo that is forbidden in the Bible. Markings for the dead. You don't mark your body for oh, this, you know, Angelo, birth and death date. No, because you'll see them again. Can you say amen? amen. Can you say it better amen? amen? Say the Lord cares about my body. That's right. Jesus redeemed your physical body. And that body, the Bible says, the corruptible will put on incorruption. But you'll be known even as you're known. Because that's, you know, probably I'm dealing with this because that's why half the Christians don't even believe in a real heaven. Like you're going to be some ghost person strumming a harp on a cloud and you don't even know how to play the harp. So you're not exactly excited to go to heaven having to fake play the harp for eternity. Hey, Jonathan, your fingers aren't even touching the strings. I don't know how to play the harp. I'm a naked baby. I got wings. I'm freaked out right now. No, but if you understand that you're going to come up out of the ground and this incorruption will put on, uh, uh, this corruption will put on incorruptible. Jesus in his glorified body came and spoke with the disciples. Look, I am the living one who died. But look, now I'm alive and I live forevermore. They could recognize him. He is, he's glorified. You're going to be glorified and you're going to spend eternity in heaven with Christ, with your loved ones that went on before, never to part again.
Say it out loud. I believe, in I believe in heaven. I was sitting on a plane one time. We hit, we hit severe turbulence. I was sleeping. I can sleep there anyway. And when, we start, when the plane started really shaking, this guy reached across the aisle and grabbed my arm. He was a Marine. He grabs my arm, wakes me up, and goes, what is that? I said, you know, he's scared. I said, uh, I said, that's pretty severe turbulence. He said, what'll happen? I said, well, A, either we'll pull out of it or it'll shake the plane apart and we'll all die. And he goes, don't say that. Okay, you ask me. You want me to talk to you like you're six? Well, then magic fairies will come and make sure we get to where we're going. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen a plane crash on video. You can put your head between your knees and buckle your seatbelt. You're going to die with your head between your knees and your seatbelt buckled. And that guy was scared to death. I was 24. I was still living at home on my parents' couch. I was half rooting for the plane to crash. I led that guy to the Lord. I said, you don't know Jesus. I said, I know right now you're not ready for heaven. No, I'm not. I said, I'm a preacher. Would you like to be? I would. I said, I'll pray with you under one condition. Plane's still shaking. I said, after this plane quit shaking, which it will, because I knew, I knew I wasn't done. I said, I said you, you can't just pretend none of this ever happened. Start going to strip clubs on your weekend off of, of assignment and all that. No, I won't. I said, promise, you know, the plane's still shaking. Promise me? Yeah, yeah, just pray. All right. I took his hands and prayed with him. He hugged me and thanked me. He goes, I'm ready for heaven. If you ever meet people that get panicked about death, they don't know the Lord. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I mean, I mean the second. There's a guy, um, He's actually still alive, almost 95 years old. He pastored a church in Brooklyn for a long time, big church, Dr. Crandall. He told a story about when he was pastoring, going to visit an old lady that was an old Pentecostal saint, you know, filled with the Holy Ghost. She had been in a coma for a while, getting ready to go home. She's old, you know, old. And so she, he comes in to pray with the family. And all of a sudden, while he's there, she hadn't moved in like a week and a half. She's laying in bed. She sits up and isn't looking at any of that. Jesus, and smiles real big, and then her body drops back on the thing, and she's dead. What is that? My dad, my, dad, uh, my dad did my grandma's funeral. He read the actual study of that doctor from the 1800s that studied how if there was any change in weight when animals died. There was none. Then he studied if there was any change of weight when, when human beings died, and at the exact moment of death, they got about, on average, 21 grams later. Something left. Your spirit, man. There's more to your life than this. That's what people spend all their time with. I go, I go to the gym. I know you, don't, you can't tell by looking at me, but I go to the gym. It's a, the Bible says uh, uh, physical exercise profiteth little, and it does. But godliness profiteth all things, is profitable unto all things, holding value in the life that now is and the life that is to come. In America, especially in Florida, especially if you go to South Florida, 
Everything's about the outward man and life here. How insane is it to eat a plant-based diet and exercise two hours a day and never have had sugar since 2007 and have your body a physical specimen and you've never made one plan for after you die. I'm not saying you got to pick one or the other, but man, if you're going to take care of your life here, there's another life. That life's not going to be 70 years. There really is a heaven. There really is a hell. And every person's going to spend their eternity in one of those two places. And if you're not saved and death is scary to you, we can take care of that tonight. That's what I do. You don't have to go to hell. When you die, you will not stay on this earth. You won't go to purgatory. That's not in the Bible. You don't sleep in your coffin like the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. He talked about what happened when people, there's a literal hell. In fact, remember, remember like an hour ago I started talking to you about Lester Summerall? And how he got caught in that open vision. You want to know what he saw? He's in Tennessee in his 20s. And he sees an open, open vision like a movie screen. He said it was all. He said, I thought it was cool. Because it was the 30s and movies had just started coming out. And he had never been to one. So he said it was like a screen opened up in front of him. And all the peoples of the earth were traveling down a path in their native regalia. Indian people wearing Indian clothes. You know, now it's not like that. Even when you travel, TV messed everything up. My dad used to go preach in villages in northern Alaska that didn't have the internet. So when he would go preach, this is like a few years ago, like seven years ago, all the teenagers had on like whale blubber jackets and like the, the fur hats. Then the village got the internet. He comes back to preach. They've all got like backwards Yankee hats on <laughs> with frostbite on their ears. But back then, you know, pe people dressed differently where they were from. So he said, I'm watching. I never left America. I'm watching all the African people in their clothes, all the Indian people in their clothes, Japanese people, all going down a road together. And the Lord spoke to me as I'm watching that vision and said, those are all the peoples of the world, and they're traveling the path of life. Would you like to see where, they, where their end is? And he said, I wish I said no. But I, was, I just foolishly said, yes. He said, so they're going down the path. And as they get to the end of the road, a few people turned to the right and went up. And he said, those are the righteous. They're leaving the path of life and going up to receive their reward. And then he said, the rest of the people kept going. And when they got to the edge, there was a cliff. And when they got to the cliff, the press of the crowd, they couldn't turn back. And they'd get pushed over the cliff into a lake of fire. He said they'd hit the lake of fire, they'd scream, pierce their face with their fingernails and scream till blood came out. And he said they'd go down into that fire like in a ripple, one after another. And he said, when I watched it, I said, Lord, this is awful. You have to do something about this. And God quoted him what he didn't know was a scripture. It's in Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33. That if the watchman does not sound the alarm and the people die. They will die, but their blood will I, require, will I require from the watchman's hands. But if the watchman does sound the alarm and they don't listen, though they die, the watchman will have alleviated himself from having to answer for his blood being on their hands. If you won't sound the alarm and they die, their blood will I require from your hands. 
And he said, you have to go and tell those people. Well, you know, this is 1930 Tennessee. He's from Florida in the 1930s. And he goes, this is what he said. Father, I don't like Indian people. I don't know any Japanese people. I don't like those people. You know, back then it was all American propaganda. They're the enemy. And the Lord said, you have to go and tell those people about Christ. And he said, by the end of that vision, he was crying himself. He said it was five in the morning when he came out of the vision. Everyone in the church was gone. He was up on the platform getting ready to preach. Next thing he knows, everybody's gone. All the lights are out, and he's on the floor. He said, I cried my eyes shut. And the next thing I know, I hear myself going, oh, Lord, save the Japanese people. Don't let them go to hell. Save the Filipinos. Save the Indians. And that's what God sent, began to send them over the world. Everybody say the Holy Ghost. Now check this out. He finishes that meeting. Go, is preaching for another guy. Goes out in the woods to pray. And as he's praying, the Lord speaks to him. Shut this meeting down and go to Little Rock, Arkansas to where I'll show you. Well, that doesn't go over well. He goes and tells the pastor, the Lord just spoke to me in the woods to shut this meeting down. The pastor said, you're, I, we ran advertising. But you're going to be here all week. And he said, I, I have to go. The Lord spoke to me. He said, you know, he's not Lester Summer at that point. He's a 26-year-old evangelist. The guy says, I'll ruin your name. I'll let all my friends know that you didn't keep your word. He said, do whatever you have to do. I got to go. And he goes to, to, to uh, no, Hot Springs, Arkansas. He goes to the Assemblies of God, general council meeting that's there, and they have a speaker, the one I mentioned that was the head of the Assemblies of God in England, Howard Carter, Dr. Howard Carter. I'll tell you about Howard Carter. Tell you, whatever you put in the offering, you're not getting ripped off tonight. <laughs> Took you through all of Christian history, basically, in one night. <laughs> Howard Carter was a conscientious objector in World War I, where he, you know, he said, I'm not going to fight World War I. I don't want to kill German people. I, I like German people. I have friends that are Germans that pastor in Germany. I can't kill them. So you were allowed to conscientiously object, but they made it, obviously, if you're allowed to get out of the war by saying you have a conscientious objection, then everyone's going to do it. So they made it where you had to work in a work camp 16 hours a day if you didn't go to war. So that's what he did, busting rocks and everything. Then he had to sleep basically in a cell that had a stone ceiling. People need to hear this stuff because there's a re you see all these full gospel churches now that are no, in no way full gospel anymore. There hasn't been one tongue spoken in that church since 1988. I'm telling you, nobody's baptized in the Holy Ghost. You're not supposed to have to send your kids to a youth camp to feel the power of God. And you're not supposed to have to go to a retreat to have an encounter with God. God is supposed to move in his own house. Amen. So he sleep, he's trying to sleep one night. There's a, like a 20-foot stone ceiling. Like if I'm laying here in the ceiling and there's a crack and water's dripping on his face. And the cell was so small that no matter which way he laid, the water would still hit him in the face. He couldn't go to sleep. That's torture. That's the way they actually torture people. You drip water on your face and you can never sleep. So he said, I cried out to God, Father, I need you to do something about that drip. And a voice spoke out loud. You do something about it. He said, I can't reach. He said, tell the water to reverse direction. And he said, I said, water, reverse direction. And he said, not only did another drop not come out, the one that was on my nose reformed and went back up into the ceiling. Every night after he'd finished that 16 hours of working,
the Lord began to speak to him about the gifts of the Spirit. Everybody say gifts of the Spirit. Now think of this. Up until that time, everybody taught that the gifts of the Spirit, did that guy come for prayer with the mask on? You know, don't sit down. I'm going to pray for you right there. And then if you want, you can leave. If you want, you can stay. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Anyway, up until that time, everybody taught that spiritual gifts were natural gifts. In other words, tongues were people that had the ability to learn multiple languages. Interpretation of tongues were people who interpreted for people on foreign fields. Praise God. Lift your hands all over the room. Every disease in the sound of my voice, it comes out of your body for free now. In Jesus' name. You're not allowed to leave here sick. Every sickness and disease that would attempt to violate your blood covenant with God, it is illegal. I command it to come out of your body now. I command it to come out of your child's body now. I don't mean later. I mean now. Your organs that have shut down, your kidney that stopped working, I command it to jerk back to life now in Jesus' name. Any damage you've taken to your body as a result of stroke, I command you to regain full use of movement in Jesus' name. Every spirit of infirmity in the sound of my voice, get lost in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You're not going down, you're going up. Your economy's not going to crash, your money's going to multiply. He that began a good work in you knows how to bring it to completion, whether the devil likes it or not. So rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has given you the victory. You're not trying to get the victory, you have the victory. You're not trying to get victory over the devil. The devil's already under your feet. Get ready for the best four and a half months you've ever had. Hallelujah. Everybody taught that the gifts of the Spirit were natural. Healing, the gifts of healings are doctors. The gift of wisdom was wise people, which it's not even the gift of wisdom. It's the word of wisdom. Hallelujah. Tell that lady to step out into the aisle. This is a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. Lift your hands up even higher. I see the Lord, and I haven't said this to anybody all weekend. I don't know if I said it to anybody in all the three weeks I was in New Mexico. I see the Lord opening doors for you to go to the nations of the world. God will use you as a missionary. 
in Jesus' mighty name. Well, I enjoyed giving that word because if God's going to send an American to the nations of the world to preach, that means the nations will come back open again. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The devil's not going to write the last chapter of human history. The church is going to write the last chapter before the rapture, and it's going to be a glorious chapter. So rejoice and be glad. Hallelujah. God's not finished with America. God's not finished with Canada. God's not finished with Mexico. Hallelujah. <laughs> Anybody say the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost? The devil has a plan, but the Holy Ghost has a plan. And unlike the devil, the Holy Ghost actually has the capacity to carry his plan out. He's looking for vessels to use. And thank God he's got a room full of them in a popka tonight. For in the last days, saith God, I will, not I'll try, I will pour out my spirit on how much flesh? That means white flesh. That means Southeast Asian flesh. That means redneck flesh. That means black flesh. That means brown flesh. God doesn't care what color you are. He cares if you'll make yourself available to him. And as you've made yourself available tonight, God's going to use you. I said God's going to use you. I said God's going to use you. He's going to pour out his spirit upon you tonight. He's going to make your body strong. You can't serve God with a body that operates at 50% capacity. The Lord's going to heal you. The Lord's going to strengthen you. You're going to take this message to people that are on their way to hell, and God's going to use you to set them free. I'm looking at a room full of world changers tonight. God's going to strengthen you. God's going to put a word in your mouth. Hallelujah. Your best days of your ministry aren't behind you. They're still to come. A new door is opened unto you tonight. So rejoice and be glad. My friend that I met in Rowlett, Texas, just come like halfway down the aisle. Right there is good. Lift both hands, close both eyes. I tell you, the Lord's going to open a brand new door for you in the ministry. You're going to go on a run for the Lord. It'll be a new, a new system. It'll be like throwing off Saul's armor and picking up the weaponry that God gave you. In Jesus' name. It's frustrating to have a lot of wisdom about the ministry and nowhere to do anything with it. But the Lord's going to open a door where you're going to be somebody that can work for him and produce for him. In Jesus' name, be filled. And I thank you, Lord, for a brand new open door. In Jesus' name. That blonde-haired lady that was next to you, step out into the aisle back there. Lift both hands right there. Close both eyes. Power of God's on you. That's the hand of the Lord. God pours his spirit out upon you. A new and a fresh. You'll have the same run. Doors are going to open up to speak and to minister. You're going to have the most fun in the ministry you've ever had. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Go ahead. If you're going to clap, clap. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Who has the final say? Jehovah has the final say. Who has the final say? Jehovah has the final say. This couple, I prayed for uh, the, the, the lady this morning in the denim shirt and then the guy next to you. Just both of you step out in the aisle. Both of you lift your hands to the Lord. I don't know what you do for a living. It's none of my business. But I tell you, the hand of the Lord's upon you. You're going to have the best year that you've ever had. God has made you a pillar in his kingdom. Your heart is moved by the things that move my heart, says the Lord. You've actually looked around for people to help and for ministries to help. Don't care whether you get any credit or not. But the Lord's giving you credit right now. He's going to release an abundant harvest into your possession. These next four and a half months will be the best four and a half months you've ever had. For you've pleased me, says the Lord. Your heart for my kingdom pleases me. This is a fresh infilling of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' mighty name. That's it. Go right through you. In Jesus' mighty name. Lift your hands and just begin to worship God out of your mouth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. Great are you, Lord. Greatly to be praised. There's nobody like you. In heaven, there's none beside you. This lady with the, the family Bible, that green Bible, come right out. Lift both your hands. Put one hand where your heart is. The Lord supernaturally strengthens your bones, touches your joints, and gives an overall refreshing to your body so that you can run these next 15 years or so, however long you want to go. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet, be healed. In Jesus' mighty name. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you would keep your hands lifted, just keep praising God. Don't turn into Episcopals. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to your name forever and ever. Would you mind if I prayed for you, sir, in the glasses of white hair? Put both hands where your heart is. I prayed this for several people this weekend. I'm going to pray it for you. Put both your hands where your heart is. Lord gives you, and I'm not talking about your, like, I'm not speaking uh, metaphorically. I'm not talking about like a spiritual heart. Lord gives you a brand new physical heart. And that'll clear up all other problems that need cleared up. And extend your life. Put your hands up here where your heart is. In Jesus' name. Both your ears to come open in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. These two young ladies, these two here, 
both of you stand up, step into the aisle. If you see anybody with a Revival Today shirt on, that's my ministry, so you don't have to catch them. They like me. They won't sue me. <laughs> Put both hands closed, both eyes. As you do, the power of God comes upon you. That's it. That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Speak that out. You'll never be the same. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's it. Speak that out. It's a new tongue. Praise God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Actually, this lady in the yellow on the side here, I pray for you. Power of God's all over you. Come right out. My friend in the orange, you're with her? You mind if I pray for her? I always ask permission if the guy looks like he could cave my chest in with one punch. <laughs> Lift both hands, close both eyes. I don't preach again until Friday. I'd like to enjoy my time in Florida and not spend it in a body cast. That's the hand of the Lord upon you. The second half of your life will be markedly different than the first half. It'll be marked by God's blessing. God's going to use you. Goodness and mercy are going to follow you all the days of your life. In Jesus' name. Build. More. 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 You'll never be the same from tonight. Stand there and enjoy it. Let the Lord touch you. I actually don't care if you fall or not. If the goal is to fall on the floor, I had everybody lay down at 6.30, get up and go get ice cream or something. My friend here in the black shirt, one, two, three, four, fourth row, black shirt. Yep, stand up, lift both hands. You don't have to come out into the aisle. Close both eyes. As you do, the power of God comes upon you. In Jesus' name. There it is. Amen. Bow your head and close your eyes. Actually, my friend in the sound booth, gray shirt, lift your hands up even higher, close both eyes. As you do, the fire of God comes upon you in the sound booth. Build in Jesus' name. That's it, right into your spirit. In Jesus' name. You'll never be the same. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here tonight, we're going to do, we're going to do three things. First thing's going to be, those of you that are on your way to hell, make a U-turn. Then I'm going to lay hands on everybody like I said I would outside. And then as you probably heard about guys like me, I'm going to take an offering. And a good one. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you've never received Jesus Christ, and I want you to ask yourself that, very important. Can you identify a specific time in your mind where you publicly gave your life to Jesus Christ? Why does it have to be public? Well, if you noticed about me tonight, I'm big on the Bible. If I, it, 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 when it comes to eternity, I don't want to know I did it the Catholic way or the Baptist way. I want to know I did it the Bible way. And the Bible says, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father that's in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father that's in heaven. 
That's where you get public altar calls from. My generation started the private altar call. God sees that hand. I see that hand. That's all that matters. And 30 years of giving camouflage altar calls produced an entire generation of camouflage Christians. They work a job for 20 years. Nobody even at the job knows they're born again. Jesus, the Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing and I will be your God and you will be my people. So I'm going to call you to do that. If you've never, and I want you to ask yourself that, can you identify a specific time in your memory where you made a public stand in an altar to give your life to Jesus? Jesus isn't coming back for a girlfriend or a fiance. He's coming back for a bride. What's the difference between the three women? All of them love the guy, but one stood at an altar and came into covenant. And that's what you do at an altar call. Number two, if you once did that, but you fell away. Maybe something very tragic happened. Maybe nothing happened. And just over time, living in America, your fire grew cold. And if you were honest with me, you, you, you'd say, Jonathan, I'm not on fire for God. I've allowed, I've allowed myself to become lukewarm. Well, that's dangerous. The Bible says in Revelation 3, Jesus said, I would that you be hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. So America celebrates lukewarm Christianity. But Jesus does not accept it. Brother Shambach used to say, Jesus will either be everything or he'll be nothing at all. I want you to receive Christ tonight. I want you to allow him to put that fire on the inside of you and that fire never go out. And I want you to respond to that today in Florida. Make tonight, what's the day, August 15th? Make August 15th, 2021 your new birthday. Where every time people bring up the pandemic 10 years from now, you start smiling. That's, that's when I got right with God. I've never been the same since then. What the devil meant for bad, God turned it for good. If you're here and you fall into either of those two groups and you say, I need to give my life to the Lord tonight, I want you to quickly put your hand up high and wave it at me and we're going to pray. In Jesus' name, I see you in the back. My friends back there, I love you. Who else? I see you in the lobby. I see you up front. Keep it up and wave it. Anybody else before we pray? Who else? The Lord's wrestling with your heart. Give in to him today. Very quickly, everyone that lifted a hand and meant business with God, those of you with more boldness come first. It'll help people that are more timid come to the front. We're going to pray right now in Jesus' name. Come right up from wherever you lifted your hand. Join me at the front. Go ahead and clap for them as they come. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Look out. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Oh, good. More. More makes me happy. Yeah. Lift both hands to the Lord. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And uh, I want you to understand this isn't like a religious recital. So I give you the words just because if I said now pray to God, some people never pray it, so they want to know what to say. So I'll give you what to say, but say it from your heart to God. God will hear this prayer. He'll take out your old heart and he'll give you a new heart. Amen? Amen. Say this out loud. Heavenly Father, I give you my life. I repent of my sin. Thank you for forgiving me. I believe in my heart. You raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. And my Savior. Right now, by the blood of Jesus, I am saved. 
I am redeemed. I am cleansed. Heaven is my home. I'll never turn back. In Jesus' name. Keep your hands up there. Let me bless you. Father, the same grace you gave me when I was a little boy to not care what the world thinks, but to be very concerned with what you think and what your word says. I loose that grace to these that are here. I thank you they'll never take another backward step. I thank you that you'll be a very present help in time of trouble. I pray whatever the enemy used before tonight to mess their life up, I take it from them now. In Jesus' name. Don't, don't fall over yet. Put your hand where your mouth is. The Lord takes the taste for that stuff off your lip and tongue. It'll never control you again. Take that same hand, put it where your heart and lungs are. The Lord gives you a brand new heart and brand new lungs. Any damage that was done to your heart and lungs in your past life, the Lord reverses it. And then thirdly, the Lord gives you a brand new clean bloodstream. You're free. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. You're free. Free. In the name of Jesus. Welcome to the family of God. God bless you. Praise God. Praise the Lord. God for his presence. Jesus is wonderful. My friend here in the purple uh, striped shirt, step out into the aisle, lift both hands, close both eyes, hand of the Lord's upon you. God's already used you, he's going to use you even greater. I'll just say congratulations in advance on all the wonderful things the Lord's going to do through your life. In Jesus' name. My friend, with the sunglasses on top of your head, you don't even have to stand up. Put both hands where your belly is. Lord heals you tonight. All your blood levels go to normal. And God strengthens you. Physically, I'm talking about. In Jesus' name. The only way I know to say it to you I don't think he went to a doctor or anything, so he just he didn't feel quite right. The Lord's going to make you feel quite right. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not a proponent of eating food that, that kills you. There's a lot of stuff you probably should stay away from, but Jesus never healed anybody by correcting their diet. And the way things are in America, you know, anytime somebody feels something wrong, they just start changing the, what they eat, which isn't necessarily bad, but Jesus didn't kneel down by the blind man and give him a sack of carrots. He opened his eyes. 
Amen. Praise the Lord. God will heal you. So I'm going to have, um, we, we obviously can't line everybody up in, this, in, in the church, which is a great problem to have, too many people. So they're going to line you up outside. I'm going to tell you to do two things. Number one, whatever value, or three things. Number one, whatever valuables you have, take them with you. We never know who snuck in. For example, like my wife's twin sister. Shady. Don't, don't leave your cell phone or whatever unless you have like a Motorola flip phone, then obviously no one's going to take it. If you have like Boost Mobile, feel free to leave it behind. Um, number two, when they line you up outside, don't talk to anybody on the way out. I'm going to give you the same instruction Jesus gave the disciples. Greet no man along the way. Because Florida people are friendly. Of course, if we were up in New England, nobody would talk to anybody anyway. But Florida people are friendly. So if you're not careful, you'll snap out of the anointing kind of. I want you to do your best to take this same atmosphere outside. They're going to line everybody up in lines and I'll pray. And then third, don't leave. You had two hours and something to leave. Now you got to wait a little bit because I don't want to have to raise anyone from the dead because they were backed over by a Ford F-150. I'm a pretty good preacher, but I don't know if I'm that good. Amen. <laughs> Because you'd have to get raised from the dead plus like unsquashed. I'm going to be honest with you. I've never been used that mightily. So don't, don't drive out because we're going to lay hands in the parking lot. It's not raining, right? Good. So I'm going to turn the service back over to one of, your, one of your pastors. They're going to tell you how to line up. The ushers will help me. And then I'm going to have you stand shoulder to shoulder. So just straight lines, however you want to line them, wherever on the property you want to line them. And I'm going to go down the line and lay hands on everybody. I might as well tell you this. Why do we lay hands on people? Pentecostal people are addicted to touching people? No. The laying on of hands is a ministry. Jesus taught, then preached, then he laid his hands on the crowd. Then whatever the results were of him laying on of hands, it was enough that people went back and got other people's kids and brought them to the meeting and said, lay their hands on them too. Everybody say transference of power. Everybody say transference of grace. I used to drive a car that was too beat up to qualify for registration. Then I had a man named Rodney Hard Brown lay hands on me who flies in a jet. Now I fly in a jet. And it's actually easier for me to fly in the jet than it was to get my car fixed. That's called grace. Amen? A large part of the quality of your life will be determined by the quality of the hands that are laid on you. And so Bishop Oyedepo pastors the largest church in the world outside of Lagos, Nigeria. He laid hands on me and said, I command your ministry to multiply, and it multiplied by the laying on hands. So I believe in that. And then I feel like then after we finish that, I'll have done everything I could do for you in a weekend. I preached and taught the best I could. I know I was only here Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, but I did about two hours each time, so that's six hours of preaching and teaching, which for most people, if they only do one Sunday morning, and they do 30 minutes. That's uh, 12 weeks of sermons. <laughs> Three months. So I gave you the best I could in the weekend. And now I'm going give to you, give you the rest by the laying on of hands. Amen? How many of you were blessed tonight? Uh, while the rest of the crew's coming in, just lift your hands in your seat. And just begin to thank God one final time. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you're not finished with America. 
Thank you for your blessing that's on Florida. Life doesn't have to finish like it started. Thanks so much. Great job, media team. Great job, sound team. Great job, everybody. This was an easy meeting. Praise God. give you a couple more words from the Lord and then we'll receive the offering. You can lower the spa waiting room music. Very calming. I actually enjoy it, but I was gonna—I was just gonna like go into a trance. I think. I want you, if you have your—I want you, if you have your Bible, open it to Philippians four. This will be the last offering we received tonight or during this weekend. Philippians chapter 4. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know that you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. I would say never in need. That's interesting to hear a preacher write that. Thanks for giving to me, but not that I was ever in need. I don't think most ministers would know how to take an offering if there wasn't a need. Because they're always raising money for something. But the Bible says in Psalm 23, 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then in the newer translations, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. God said, I'll make you the lender and never the borrower. Well, how can he make you where you're never the borrower? In order to borrow, there has to be a need. And he said, he'll make it so that you're never in need. So I want you to see the grace that operated on the Apostle Paul's life. He said, I was never in need. God supplies all your needs. I never understood when people say, how many of you have a need tonight? Almost every hand in the church goes up. That's, that might be true, but it's not how it's supposed to be. Because he supplies all our needs. So if your needs are supplied, how do you have a need? You don't. I had a minister. He's a nice guy. You know, it wasn't. But I had just got into this revelation. Because, I mean, I never, I never heard anybody take an offering growing up in church where there was, there was a need. They're building an orphanage. The roof needed repaired. We were putting new blacktop. We need people to give to that. There's always something to give to. You're always playing from behind trying to get to zero. And so I, I, I had never heard, I had never heard somebody take an offering just on sowing and reaping. So when I finally got the revelation into my spirit, the guy I was preaching for, I was 31 years old. He leaned over to me real nice and he said, I'm going to take an offering for your ministry. What needs does your ministry have? And I said, and I didn't mean to be like mean, I probably could have toned it down, but it had just hit my spirit. I said, our ministry doesn't have needs, our ministry meets needs. 
And he said, then how am I supposed to take an offering for you? Well, how do you take an offering if there's no need? Because I don't have any. Sure, waiting for me to tell you I got two flat tires and a DUI uh, court date coming up. You're going you're, you're, you're to be waiting a while. Because the Bible tells, tells you, Deuteronomy 28, I'll fill your storehouses with grain. Well, what does that mean? That means Abraham's blessing is not praying meals on the table. Abraham's blessing is before the need arises, the provision's there ahead of time. And that's the grace that operated on Paul's ministry. So he continues, not that I was ever in need. I want you to say that in faith. Say, I'll never be in need. Say, I meet needs. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Now, for the sake of time, because I've kept you here plenty, skip down to verse 15. As you know, you Philippians, this is a very interesting scripture. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the gospel and traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. That's insane to me. Until when Paul went to Philippi, up until that point, every meeting he had, nobody ever gave him any money. And he wasn't having like okay meetings. He was having city-shaking meetings. Like you guys are an odd bunch. Because normally if I run a service like I ran one tonight, there'd be about 20 to 30% of the crowd that came back for the offering. Because that's how people are. It's receive, 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 and then when it's time to give, they go missing. And then they miss out on that one element that's very important. Because money, money is a very important thing in life. Jesus spoke more about money than he did heaven and hell. Money controls people if they don't learn how to master it. And then when you have money, people say, I don't really care about money. Well, you're not an intelligent person. Because money gives you the ability to create pleasurable experiences for your family. You know, if that was the only thing it did, it would be important to me because I love my wife and daughter, and that matters. You know, I, I heard a minister say one time, anytime God gives you money, how many of you know it's for his kingdom? Well, that's not true because, hey, everybody would starve to death. If all the money you got was to help feed the hungry, you'll die. Then secondly, there's a story in the Bible where God did a miracle through Elisha for a widow and her sons that were in debt. He said, borrow vessels and borrow not a few, and then pour oil into the vessels, and she filled all the vessels with oil. Then Elisha said, sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what's left. The whole purpose of that miracle was to get her out of debt and provide a living for her and her sons. You're not a pawn in God's game. God's not using you to try to build this kingdom. He actually, just, he actually cares about you. And then because you love him, you build this kingdom. Can you say amen? amen? So I don't like when people give people a mentality that money is just something. So, for, so you got one group of Christians that think you're not supposed to have any money. Then you have a second group of Christians that think God gives you money so that you can build orphanages and all that. Which you will if you love him. You'll, you, you'll do that out of a love for what he loves. Because when you love God, you care about what he loves. And he loves souls. He loves the lost. He wants to help the hungry. But I'm not someone God has a relationship with so I can help him accomplish his objectives. I'm his child and he loves me. Can you say amen? amen. 
In fact, he said in his word, Psalm 37, delight, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you what? My, my dad, similar to your pastor, likes to hunt. My dad had a guy get saved in one of his meetings. My father, you know, and I'm not saying this to like insult my father. I'm just telling you how he is. My dad's of that generation of preachers that um, just they didn't spend money on themselves. Everything went to the ministry. Yeah, you, you, meet, you meet some of those guys. Don't pass out the offering envelopes yet because I want people to hear me. I'm not, I'm not doing this just to like so you can give. I'm trying to give you a, a, a revelation that will help you pass when I leave. Took me till I was about 35 to ever get it, this stuff, and I struggled until then. And then once it hit, it's been off to the races out of the, out of the revelation of God's word. Just like you can struggle with sickness and disease, and then as soon as you get a revelation that he took our infirmities, you don't struggle with it anymore. Amen? So my dad, you know, my dad's of that generation of ministers that they could have a $10 million ministry, and they, they won't, you know, they won't spend money on themselves. And they don't have a problem with it. They just don't. So, but that doesn't nullify God's word. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you what? The thing my dad likes to do the most is hunt. This guy gets saved in one of his meetings that runs a hunting outfitters thing. As you can tell, I don't hunt because I just call it a thing. He calls my dad and they're doing a hunt in the Hebridean Islands in Scotland to hunt blackface ram. It's one of those luxury hunts. It's like $30,000 a person. You stay in a five-star lodge, you have a chef assigned to you, and you have a personal guide assigned to you. So my father gets a call from this guy that a businessman backed out of the hunt because of some kind of family problem, and he backed out after the point that it was non-refundable. So he said, if you can get to Scotland, you can take his place. So my dad booked a, a plane ticket on Priceline.com, flew to Scotland, and did a $30,000 hunt for about $600. Then the first day they go up into the Hebridean mount, mountains to hunt a black-faced ram. A black-faced ram comes right out. My dad doesn't know. You, don't, you only get to kill one, and you don't want to waste your shot on a little one. So my dad said to the guide, is that a big one? He went, yes. He, my dad said, on a scale of 1 to 10, how big? In other words, like if, if it's like a 6, we'll keep waiting and get a bigger one. The guy goes, an 11. <laughs> so my dad shot it. It was the world record black-faced ram. After, at that point, after 25 years of preaching, if you Googled his name, he was holding the blackface ram with its tongue hanging out the side of its mouth. Because God made that happen for my dad. One of my favorite things to do is go to Arizona and just chill. I like going in the summer. No chance of rain. It's like 115, which clears everybody out. So you don't see like another person in the hotel pool the whole week, which is, I like that. And uh, we go to check in. I, the nicest resort in the, in the Scottsdale area, I just, like, I had enough to get, like, their basic room. So I go to check in. We go to ch check in at the front desk. And the lady has a Boston accent, which if you, you know, it's not hard to spot. So when she was talking, as I'm checking in, I just said, what part of Boston are you from? She said, um, she said oh, yeah, I am from Boston. I said, right in or just outside? She said, just outside. I said, what's the name of the town? Because my wife's from Boston. She said, Framingham. I said, oh, that's where my wife's from. My wife perks up. She said, oh, yeah, Framingham. They get to talking, and the lady goes, uh, they find out that both of their moms work at the same hospital. <laughs> so the lady goes, give me your keys back. Gives me the keys back, punches a bunch of things. She goes, I'm going to give you another room. 
And she, she says, I want to take you to the room. So you knew it was a nice one because she like wanted to see, like, we were like the people that just got our homes remodeled on ABC. <laughs> this poor family that they're taking. So she takes us, you know, I had booked like the standard room, which I could barely afford. She takes me to this room that's like 3,200 square feet. It had a grand piano in it. I don't know. I guess there's different classes of people. I never played the piano on vacation. <laughs> my, my, my family never did that. We didn't wake up and go, before we go to the pool. <laughs> there was a conference room. Again, I don't know who's having conferences. There was a guest bathroom. I don't know who's having guests into their hotel room. And if you do have one, you know, it's like, hey, you need to use the bathroom. Get out of here. <laughs> and we stayed in the dining room. Massive bathroom. I mean, the bathroom was like the size of my second apartment. Huge. Huge. And the, I know, the, you know, I don't think people say, I don't believe in prosperity. You'd have a hard time talking me into that the devil did that to me. You know, Jonathan's been preaching hard. We got to give it to him. <laughs> Let's give him a vacation. No. That was the Lord. Now, my dad doesn't give two poos about hanging out in the pool. And my dad hates the heat, and my dad hates the hot. What, uh, uh, hates the pool. And I don't like hunting. I'm not an outdoorsman. I'm an indoorsman. Sometimes I think when, when it, after winter's over up north, I think, man, I'm going to hang out outside more in the summer. Then you sit outside for four minutes, and you remember why you don't. Bugs. They ruin everything. But notice the Lord, the Lord didn't send me on a hunt and send my dad to the pool in Arizona. The Lord sent me, gave me the desire of my heart. I was staying, think of this. If I was, uh, if I was Jay-Z, if I was the, the, the best pitcher, if I was Jacob DeGrom for the Mets, that's probably going to set the record for pitching this year, and I had a multi-million dollar contract, I couldn't have stayed in a nicer room at a nicer resort. And I would have had to pay more. So the Lord, if you delight yourself in him, yeah. he'll give you what people work their whole lives to do He'll just drop it in your life if you keep him first. And it really makes life fun. It's enjoyable. You know, Jesus didn't come so we could endure life. He came for you to enjoy life. I have come that you might have and have it more abundantly. He wants to help you. He wants you to love you. I guess you already got the point. Must be from New York. I got it. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, I spot New York. Man, a robbery would have been quicker than this. <laughs> At least they don't give you a speech. So look what Paul said to the Philippian church. Since there's probably more New Yorkers here, I'll wrap it up. <laughs> Even when I was in Thessalonica, you gave me help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. I'm going to say a reward. reward. Does the Bible teach there's a reward for giving? It teaches it right here. Jesus taught it. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Your gift will come back to you. Presto. I mean, we don't give to get. Well, you're going to get anyway. So, so save the little religious speech. And Paul said, I want you to understand you're going to get a reward. Well, what is it? At the moment, I have all I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. 
I'm glad my mom just named me John. <laughs> They're a sweet-smelling sacrifice that's acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God that takes care of me will supply. So Paul said he was never in need. Paul said when you, when you put God first in giving, that the same God that made sure he was never in need will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Are all your needs financial? No. When I went to high school in Maine, Maine has one of the lowest populations of church people in the United States. There were no Christians in my high school. And I'm not saying that like judgmentally, like they think they're Christians, but they're really. I'm talking the Jewish kids didn't go to synagogue. The Catholic kids didn't go to mass. Nobody went to church. It was like a high-end academic school that I got to go to for free because we lived in a little town that didn't have a high school, so you got to pick out of five schools. And I went to this school because I wanted to play ice hockey, and their ice hockey team won 0-16 the year before. And I thought if I can make any team, I can make this team. <laughs> so people didn't go to church there. Well, I got along with people, but basically once school was over, I just had to part company with everybody. I'm not going to sit in a car and smoke weed and listen to Sublime. So I had, I had to go home. And I, one time I was praying and I said, Father, actually my mom was doing devotions with me and my sister. And we would, we would, do, we would pray. And my mom said, do you, do you want to pray for anything? I said, yeah. I'd like a friend. That was a need. I don't have any friends. I, you know, I got along with people very well. I made people laugh. But I didn't have any, any close friendship because there weren't any Christians. So you can only get so close. I said, I'd like a friend. So my mom prays. Literally, the next day, the principal comes on the intercom and says, would Jonathan Shuttlesworth report to the office? So I'm trying to think what I did if I did something wrong. And I go to the office, and there's, a, there's another guy there. And the, the principal's name was Mr. Sakara. He said, Jonathan, this is Scott Tyree. He just moved here. His family just moved here from Michigan. And normally, we have somebody from the National Honor Society show him around. But for some reason, I just felt like, like you'd be a good fit with him. So if you would, take him to class with you and just show him around the school. So I take him around the school, and we get to talking, and he brought up something about church. Well, I mean, I hadn't heard anybody talk about church, and we moved to Maine when I was in eighth grade. I didn't hear anybody in eighth grade. I hadn't heard it the whole time in high school. So when he, like, casually said something about church, I said, you go to church? He went, yeah. I said, what kind of church? You go up in New England, there's all these, like, weird churches. I said, what kind of church? And he, he, he told me the church. I said, you believe the Bible? He's like, yeah. So I'm like grilling him because there's all these weird people in New England. I said, you believe that Jesus is the son of God that came in the flesh and died for us and he's the only way to heaven. He went, yeah. I was like persecuting him. It was like the Spanish Inquisition. You believe in one triune God. You believe Jesus rose in the flesh from the grave on the third day. He's like, yeah. I went, my name's Jonathan. Nice to meet you. Do you know, me and him. Now, it's one thing if it's a Christian. There's lots of Christians. I mean, you become best friends with all of them. Some of them are super annoying. They're on Instagram. If you're wondering where they are. So, not only is he a Christian, we have the same sense of humor. We had the same interests, played fantasy football, same video games. It was insane. Then after school, we stay in touch. 
I'm preaching four years after I graduated in Indiana, and they said, turn around and greet a few people, and he's standing in, in the aisle. I saw you were only three and a half hours away from where I lived. I want to come here. You preach. Great to see you. He just texted me uh, four months ago, came back into touch with me. Because whatever the Lord does, it remains forever. Yeah. Now, it's a shame that because I prayed one prayer, my mom did, his dad had to lose his job in Michigan and get transferred <laughs> to Maine. But I'm going to tell you, the Lord did that for me. I don't think he, the one Christian kid my age, there wasn't any in the state, so God actually moved one from Michigan to Maine. Amen. Can you say amen? amen. Um, so, hotel suites, hunts, friends, all your needs. I stand here today, and I'm not bragging. I stand here today. I don't have any needs. I have friends. I have food. I mean, these, these people that had me in, they studied me. They have all my favorite drinks in the back. I never told anybody. I don't send like a sheet of paper ahead. There must be 20 bottles of Dasani water, or I walk. Do you understand me? At room temperature. There was a guy that's a speaker. He used to send a rider ahead that he wanted um, M&Ms in his hotel room, and they could only be red ones. Now, first of all, why would you even do that? Because that means some staff member handled all your M&Ms. There was another guy that sent, it might have been the same guy in his rider. It said on paper that he had to have a blender in his room that has never been touched by human hands. Who do you think made the blender? Dolphins? It literally said that word for word in the writer. It must never be touched by human hands. How do you want us to get the blender to your room? You psycho. I don't do any of that. I don't, have, I don't have any needs. Jesus has supplied all my needs from childhood. And it's not an accident. Notice that Paul didn't write that. To, I don't know what I'm pointing. That's me, not Paul. But <laughs> you notice that Paul didn't write that to every church. Paul shared that. Paul told that Philippian church, listen, I want you people to know something. You're the only church. It, it, of course, if you're in the ministry, it makes more sense. But it, it's stunning to me that Paul had the meetings that he had, and when he was all done, people were like, thanks a lot, buddy. See, let us know when you're coming back again. Best of luck. But then this one group, the Philippian church said, no, nah, we're going we're gonna to give that the same message that changed our lives will go out and touch other lives. So notice, Paul didn't write back to the people that didn't give and scold them. He wrote back to the people who did give and commended them and told them, I'm not bringing this up so you give more money. Because, you know, it's like if I said, hey, just so you know, in all my travels, you're the only person that ever invited me over to your house for dinner. He'd be like, I think he wants us to invite him over to his house for dinner again. So he said, I'm not bringing this up so that you give. In fact, that's when he said, in fact, I'm generously supplied at the moment with all the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. Now think of this. The Philippians not only gave him money and supplies when he was with them, they loaded this guy Epaphroditus up with supplies to bring to him where he was. Think, of, you couldn't go on ApostlePaul.org and give. This guy had to go find him. 
You're like, even if you knew he was in Thessalonica, that's like knowing someone's in Orlando. Yeah. Can't just walk to the middle of the street, Bob! Bob! They had to find him by the Spirit. So Paul said, because you did that, the same grace that operates in my life is going to operate in your life. The same way my God supplies all my needs, your needs will be supplied according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And that's the power of an offering. Most people don't care, but obviously I'm not talking to people that don't care because you, you had like ample opportunity to leave. You can tell by the reaction you get into the offering, that teaching that people, people came back to give and enjoy it. I want to tell you, there's no doubt in my mind, I'm throwing this part in for free, there's no doubt in my mind that when they said, when, when they tried to collapse the U.S. economy last year with COVID and said unemployment will probably be at 40% and they couldn't figure out why it never collapsed. There's no doubt in my mind, whether you know this or not, 90% of missions giving comes from the United States. Missionaries don't go to Germany to raise their support. And Germany's money, the euro is worth more than the dollar. So it doesn't have anything to do with the economy. Every ministry comes back here to raise their money. And the Bible says, when you give, see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing so great that you won't have room enough to take it all in. Tell, and then where does the giving come from primarily out of the 90% that comes from America? Florida and Texas. Maybe Georgia and a couple other southern states. Look at Florida. They did everything in their power to collapse the U.S. economy, and Florida is booming. The economy here, Texas, same thing. Florida Florida's off the charts. Homes going up everywhere. And I'm sure it's been a major frustration to the devil that in the natural, everything, the U.S. economy should have collapsed. Unemployment should have gone to 40%. But the power of sowing and reaping. Did you ever think that maybe there's too many tithing Christians in this land that it actually shields back the attack of the devil against the economy? I want to challenge you tonight because the only way you're going to break this plan that the devil has, and it is going to get broken, but the only way you're going to drive this plan out is by the Holy Ghost. I told you I have a plan that we're going to go on television for five straight nights, and I'm going to preach on some of the stuff I preached on tonight, but more specifically, I'm going to talk about what the mark of the beast is. I'm going to talk about how this, these vex that, that actually, this stuff that's being openly discussed, whether somebody has to get something injected in them to be able to go to stores and buy and sell. That is the framework for that system. How many of you think that would be good to have that on national television for an hour a night? It needs, and I'm going to tell you, not only will it beat that back, you're going to have people respond to receive Jesus Christ quite a bit. We, we, we did one test run. Uh, I went on Daystar for an hour. Our old record was 268 phone calls in, in, a, in one hour. When we went on Daystar Worldwide, it's more money, but the reach is a lot bigger. We had 2,773 people calling for prayer in, in 58 minutes and 30 seconds. So, so think of how many that is per minute. And then if you, that was one program. What if you did that for a week? And I guarantee if you did it, if you dealt with 
this va- the, it's not the vaccine. It's the vaccine mandate and the, and the vaccine passport. If you start dealing with that stuff from the Bible, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give a shot to the head of that devil that's trying to do that. Because people kind of already can tell something's up, but they can't put their finger on it. This will put their finger on it. And then people that aren't right with God are going to be like, oh, shoot, I need to get right with God. That's what we've been having happen the last 18 months. Atheists getting sick. Quad City, Iowa's, Iowa, when I was on television, the, a guy wrote in and said, we want you on Check the News every night on the prison TV, the whole prison. He said, we didn't know you were a Christian. It's quite the compliment. And he said, at the end, we just laughed because you made fun of everybody. And he said, at the end, when you gave the call to receive Jesus Christ, over the last three days, everybody in the prison has given their life to Jesus Christ. Do you know we picked up a bunch of ministry partners from prison? They would write in a letter, and they would send $10. And with a letter, we get paid a dollar a day. That's 10 days' pay. Instead of buying cigarettes or sharpened toothbrushes, they sent it. They said, we, we want that to go out and touch other people. Those are some of the most moving letters I've ever read. Amen? Amen. So there's a way to reverse what the devil wants done. Now, if you notice my verbiage, I never said, now, if you guys will give, I'd like to do that. I'm doing it. I read in an article that if, if uh, you let one of the drug cartels take one of your kidneys, they give you 72 grand. So if I have to spend a weekend in the La Quinta Inn in a bathtub with ice down in the Rio Grande Valley, it's no problem. Get it covered with an only God can judge me tattoo, and and I'll go on and preach. But before I go that route, I just figured I'd open it up if anybody wants to give. All kidding aside, if you'll get behind the work of the Lord, God will bless you. I don't make any apologies or anything. I don't feel bad about talking like that. I didn't send those guys in prison their 10 bucks back because God will bless them. The Bible says it'll work whether you're slave or free. Did it work for Joseph as a slave? Did it work for Joseph in prison? The blessing of God will work wherever you are. It'll get on you and it'll get on your children and it'll change your last name. If you can testify to that, can you say amen? Just to give you a target, because some people can, can do this. Now, if you can't, you don't feel bad. But every night uh, to go on for an hour is $17,000. So if you want to take care of a night, two people have already taken care of a night. If you want to also take care of a night, that's what it, what it is, so just to give you a target. Then one way, I'll just throw this out here, one way that helps me give, because the thing you battle is your flesh. Your flesh doesn't want to give to church, so I trick my flesh. When I get ready to give, you just pretend it's something that you do write big checks for. So for some people, just pretend I'm a slot machine. (laughs) For other people, pretend I'm a quinceanera. Because people think that it's, oh, you give that much money to church. But there's other things you give that. Some people, for some people, $17,000 is one hand of blackjack. For some people, $17,000 is one-tenth of what you buy in for to play poker. So not me. Well, then I'm not talking to you. But there are people, there you know, why, why receive an offering from everybody like everybody's a single mother? Everybody's not. Some, some people God has blessed, and they should be challenged at a different level. And I'll tell you, if you say, I'm going to, I want, I want, I'm going to be responsible for the gospel, the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ going out nationally for one hour, 
The Lord knows who his financiers are. Amen? Amen. So guys, go ahead and pass the envelopes out. Ask the Lord what he'd have you to give. Everyone that does $1,000 or more as a way to say thank you, we're going to send you our new uh, Kingdom Builders Bible because we're also building a church. This is the get off the stage music at the Academy Awards. Please fill out your envelopes quickly or a giant hook is going to come out and pull me off the stage. And I want you to sow whatever you're sowing. Believe in God for a great harvest. Target it towards something. What do you believe in God to do for you? God will do it. Brennan, you don't have one of our Bibles, do you, the black one? I had one. I can't remember what I did with it. show you so you know I'm not lying. God bless all the lobby people. We love you. We'll let you in the big room next time. You were very good tonight. (laughs) There's a lot of books in this church's uh, bookstore out there that I would encourage you to check out and buy on your way out. Those mini books that Brother Hagen wrote, if I were you, I'd buy every one of them and read every one of them. Those are life-changing books. Those mini books are at least as good as the big books. Then if you have a short attention, if you're like me and when you read you get sleepy, those mini books are great. I get about two pages into anything. Next thing you know, it's morning time. If you're making out a check, make it out to Revival today. And you spell thousand, T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D. It is. But if you have a million in your checking account, you need a financial planner. (laughs) hey how many appreciate a man that's wild enough to keep his church open believes in the gospel then have everybody in for a revival meeting no temperature checks no registration you can actually sit and talk to people please give a warm hand clap to my new friend (laughs) Stand on your feet, everybody. I'm going to have the pastor give closing words, anything he wants to say, and call you forward to give. And I love you. Your best, your best days are yet to come. These next four and a half months will be the best ones you ever had. Amen. Can I make one more statement to you? Y'all in a hurry to go home. Pray really about supporting him monthly. One-time giving is grand. But I'm going to tell you something. When it's coming in on a consistent basis... I have investments because I don't want my money to sit in the bank. If I have money, I want it to work. I want my money to make money. I was preaching when, one day. I was taking up an offering. The Lord, I, I told people, I said, "You can't take your money with you." And the Lord behind me said, "Yes, you can." And I said, oh, "No, you can't." He said, "Yes, you can." I said, "How are you going to get your money to heaven?" He said, "Souls." Now, here's the way I view Jonathan. I'm not out on the field anymore, but I want fruit. I want fruit. So I understand that I need to place money in a place that's getting souls because when I step into heaven, I want fruit. 
So when I see someone like Jonathan, I go, you're going to get it monthly out of me. And I'm not, it's my money. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't stop being my money because I give it to him. It's still my money. If I give you seed for your ground, it's still my seed. I want that money coming back to me. So when I step in heaven, I want to see people. I want to see people. And so there's, there's there, you know, I don't want to say there's not me. There's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You, you and I need evangelists that we're putting finances into them. Because America needs that now. So I'm just going to ask you to think about this when you leave. When you fill that card out, go monthly. Start putting money away. Don't you wish you had gotten into Amazon when it was, come on, how many of y'all wish you, how many of you wish you bought Bitcoin when it was, you know, just, yeah, I do. I'm like, oh my God, I missed the Bitcoin thing. Don't miss the Jonathan thing. Amen. Don't, don't miss this one. This is an investment in your forever. Other than that, let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for this time that we've had. As a family, as a church, and, a, and a, I, we give you the glory and honor. Every person healed, every life changed. And what you began, you said you'd complete it. When this man goes with his family and, and wherever he goes, Father, I pray that he understands that we're with him, we're behind him. And we ask you to bless him wherever he goes. Thank you for that jet that someone offered him. I'm in agreement with that. Because he's got to be able to get everywhere he goes and the money. And we thank you for every person here today. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com. From our YouTube channel to our podcast to our SoundCloud and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages. And it helps us too that if you would love to give to the what we're doing, it helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big give now button. Or you can text 407-955-5345. And remember, our pastor's vision is this. We grow Christians. So we thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.